Welcome to the Broad Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. Welcome to Grog Talk. Grog Talk Live. This is, uh, we're trying this instead of me spending my whole weekend uh, downloading, editing 4K videos. We said, you know what, we'll just stream it live to our vast audience out there. We're on the internet. Who would have thought back in 1983 playing D&D would have us to be worldwide celebrities that we are, right? If you told me back then in the 80s that I, one day I'd be on the internet, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. I'd, I'd find it hard to believe. What? <laughs> What is a net? What is a net? What is? Yeah. How are they interrelated? I'm just glad you know Al Gore. You know was able to. Well, all right, we should move right. on. That's right. Moving on. I'm sure, well, whatever subscribers had, they just un- unsubbed at this yeah. point. But that's okay. So uh, I'm James. I'm Dan. And this is episode five. And episode five, we're going to. Well, we're going to conclude one way or another the episode, the trials and tribulations of Pixie and Glade. One of my goals is, if, fortunately, we're, we're filming this in the morning, so it can't be a drinking game every time I say Trixie as opposed to Pixie, because Dan was even getting frustrated with me. He couldn't have saying it too much, so it's well, Pixie and Glade. Well, it upset Pixie. Right. Not me, but upset Pixie. It Pixie has upset, upset him so much that he's collapsed on the ground now in, in, in the hands of uh, goblins and hobgoblins. So if you want to see how he, how he got to that fate, go to uh, last week's episode. So um, today we're going to... Uh, Hopefully finish the adventure as uh, I'll let Dan recall it uh, when we start, when the party gathers. And then we're going to talk about the second component of Dungeons & Dragons. We talked last week about exploration and a lot of good topics there. This this week we're going to talk about encounters. And an encounter does not have to be combat. It can can be some interaction that uh, moves past the environment... And typically it's with an NPC or with the other players. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Dan, you ready to see the conclusion of this uh, adventure and what's going to happen to Pixie and Glade? Yeah, I'm optimistic. Okay. That's hope springs eternal. But especially after last session, I just... Uh, it couldn't get worse. Well, you know, after last, after last session and last night when you ran, believe me, I thought it was pretty dim and somehow... We pulled it out, and uh, we'll have to talk about that in our suggestion or, or some other segment. So, the party gathers. You must gather your party before venturing forth. And, Dan, you want to recap where you think we are in the uh, session or where uh, Pixie and Glades are? So, my recollection is Pixie has sadly been captured. So, Pixie is, was down, right, right, and out, but not dead. As far as you as know. Far, as, far, as, well, far as far as you as, don't know. You exactly. Know. Right. As far as Glade, as Glade yeah. uh, knows. But uh, so Glade was horrified to see uh, Pixie. Uh, uh, Glade and Pixie, I think, did some things well in this adventure. They've done some things not so well. And I think one thing that they didn't do well last time uh, was that they rushed into combat. should have been a little bit more stealthy. Uh, and so Pixie... Uh, is currently maybe dead, maybe unconscious, taken by a hobgoblin and some goblins. And Glade fled, realizing that uh, the the odds seemed insurmountable, and has gone back and and found John the blacksmith, uh, for whom they were undertaking this adventure. And uh, John, much to Glade's surprise, because uh, 
Glade was expecting John to grab, you know, I don't know, a, a meat cleaver out of the kitchen. Maybe a poker or something like that. Exactly, right. Uh, instead, I think, what was it? A uh, bastard sword. A, a bastard sword. That's right. Right. And then did he did he put on some, a suit of plate mail? No, 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 he has. He does not have full plate mail. And the sword wasn't glowing? I thought it was glowing. No, no, it didn't flame or anything like that. It was okay. Just a, it was a bastard sword over the mantle. So uh, he's, not on, he's not on a war horse. With... Uh, well, he called his uh, celestial war horse. It's actually right. coming. He'll move it on the way there. Got it. No spell book right <laughs> no, now. he does not have a spell book. <laughs> okay, but so, John, but I feel a little bit better about John. <laughs> At yeah. least that he's got... So, so John, so basically what's happened... Is Pixie has been replaced with John, the zero level? I'm a, I don't know. I say this. That's right. What I would think as Glade is a zero level fighter, and uh, John has now realized perhaps he should play some role in saving his daughter's life. Right. <laughs> yes, the hysteria that he had when his daughter was missing, and the relief that he came to seeing two strangers has now. It's realized upon him that um, the fate of his daughter rests with folks who may not be really prepared for this. So, um, yes, you were about to head out back to uh, the underground uh, dungeon or temple. I say to, I've had a lot of time to think about it. I say to John, John, before we leave, yes. do you have anything that might be of assistance, such as a net, a large sack, anything which would help us? That you can think of. Well, yes. Uh, yes, we, we need to move quickly. I'm, I'm sure she'll be dead before morning. But here, so he he uh, looks through, he grabs a, a large sack. He takes, you see him, he has a vial in his pouch that he, he puts a vial in his pouch of a small, clear liquid about this size. Really? Yes. And now he brings that out. Yes. And then he uh, he also, in, he runs back to his shop, says, follow me. And he hands you a... He looks at you. You're awful skinny, and he says, "This was my. This was Alyssa's. I used to try things on. Threw this on, and it appears to be a chainmail shirt. Oh, and a small uh, metal cap for you. These were Alyssa's when we used to pretend to be knights. Uh, and puts on a puts on a chain shirt as well, and a helmet, and uh, also takes a uh, a wooden buckler and asks, Do you want a wooden buckler as I well?'" Would thank you very much. Okay, thank so, you. Uh, John, now... And he carries it. He has his torch, and uh, he takes a couple of torches with him, and he's ready to go. Let so us that proceed. That takes about ten minutes to don all that on. So now your armor class, because it's not full chain mail, would be with shield AC5. Armor class 5. I say thank you, John. Let us make uh, haste and try to save Alyssa. Right, so... It's too late. And Pixie, of course. Right. That would be, that would be great. So you head back, and of course... Uh, with John not being a ranger, um, he's going to be he's a large figure as you're running through the forest. So you do you have the opportunity uh, potentially for someone to encounter you. Okay. You know now it's closer to midnight at this point, plus or minus. Uh, you, uh, Glade and John are successful to get to the. You're about I'll say you're at the edge of the forest like you were the last time. Um, what do you do? Okay, so uh, do I see... Anyway, so we see the entranceway. I well, it's that... going to be hard to see because he has his torch out. Oh, so the entranceway was further from... It's about 40 yards away from where you were. Ah, I see. Um, is there any way to go around the edge where we could get to a point where the torch would illuminate the entranceway without walking into the opening? Yeah, you could probably go around the back of the... Because it's basically at the edge of the forest, the... The, where the doors are, they they stand at the edge of the forest. So you would have to go around it. The, 
the problem is, you know, you're obviously if you have light, you're going to, if someone was outside, right. I would see you going. Right. Well, you know, so torches, I assume as John has brought something to relight the torch with. Yes. Okay. So I asked John to please, <clears throat> because I am right. So my ranger is a half elf. Yes. I call it. So we have infravision. That's right? true. So, uh, and how much, uh, does moon, how much, was, do you know what the moon was? Does moon? It's completely pitch black. Right. Remember? Right. So I, and that's just as an aside, does a new moon, not a new moon, a full moon spoil infravision or probably, I don't know how no, much it, light. As far as I know, it's, um, you know, and again, that's another discussion of infravision. It's, it's the fact that the heat is supposed to be the issue, but then there are other times that light affects it yeah. as well. It's, it, I'm sure there's been magazine, uh, dragon magazines or other magazines that go over it, but Basically, I will say uh, maybe a full moon would interfere with it, okay. but anything less than that would would, okay. it would augment it. And as you mentioned, it's a new moon anyway. So I'm going to ask, I say, uh, John, would you please put out your torch so I can use my infrared? Yes, whatever we need to do. Put it out quickly. So he, he puts it in the ground and he grabs you. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm here. And then I wait for my infravision to kick in because yeah. it's got to adjust. It takes you know, a few segments, a couple segments. Yeah. Okay. And then do I see any heat sources you, larger than a bunny? Uh, no, you don't see anything. In fact, it's very cold. Um, you know, obviously the, the, you, it's except for the mist that seems to be oscillating out of the, uh, mm-hmm. out of the temple or mm-hmm. dungeon area. Like you saw previously, mm-hmm. you do not see any other figure. Okay. So I say, John, there appears to be no one at the entranceway. Uh, uh, follow me. So, and I, I'm just going to, I'm not, I say, don't, don't put it, the torch on yet again. Just grab hold of me on the back and okay. I will lead you toward the entrance. Okay. Sounds good. So you, you, you lead John to, you're at the entrance. Now. Okay. And so is there light, I'm trying to remember, is there light coming out of the entrance? Uh, it's, it's a little bit because you remember the brazier room is, is about mm-hmm. uh, 30 feet in and then 30 feet to the right of you. So there, is there, what I tell, is there Appear to be enough for John to see. Yeah, it's pretty. Di- it's okay. like you know, like you're approaching a campfire. Okay, so what, the first thing I'm going to do is I am going to a glade is going to listen in to see if I hear anything okay. coming from the entrance. Why? Glade does not hear any noise. I say okay. So I say, John, I I don't hear anything. Uh, let's go in, and I'm going to lead the way and have him fall follow, follow behind me. Okay, great. So you uh, you go down the stairs, which goes down thirty feet, and it goes to the right. And I'm gonna yes, and again I'm gonna when I get to the edge of the stairs, I'm gonna listen, and then if I don't hear anything, I'm gonna poke my head around. Okay. So you descend down, mm-hmm. and you're gonna try to poke around to the right. I think just like last time, right, heading toward the brazier room. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, give you a chance. Okay. Great. So. Uh, Glade is successful, at least she feels. She peeks around and she notices there are two goblins that are laying on, that seem to be sitting on the brazier or near the brazier. Do I get any sense if they are positioned as they were when I we propped two of them up there? Am I able to discern whether they seem to be in that same position? Uh, roll under your wisdom. Okay. So this would be what we'd call an ability check, yeah, right? Ability check. And I and this is one of the few times you want low, right? Because yes. I've got a 14 wisdom, so I want to... Usually when you say make a check, unless the DM says otherwise, you're talking about on a D20, that's, is that correct? That's right. A one? Yes, you definitely re- recognize them as the or, the goblins that you had slain. Okay. And fun fact, um, 
uh, I was listening to uh, Roll for Initiative podcast, and they mentioned um, you're cheating. A three. I, I I do look at other podcasts. I'm sorry. Okay, we'll talk about that sorry. offline. I apologize. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, uh, and they mentioned A three area of the slave lords, and in there they call for a dex check. And so I don't know if that's the first time in an official. Module. Oh, interesting. Remember we were talking yeah. about last time. When did this become this house rule became official? So in A three area of the slave lords. There's a moment where you have to roll under your decks in order to avoid a trap. That's right, because there's nowhere, if I recall correctly, there's nowhere in any of the core books that it talks right. about that. It, it talks about uh, you should come up with something reasonable if there's a roll not. Right. right. And I think, and then, uh, we're probably digressing here, but I, what I think is interesting is that there's not a lot of modifiers. I try to do it every now and then. A lot of it's just sort of a straight check. I think right. it's just because it's easier. It gets time-consuming. You say a yeah. plus four at minus three. And anytime when I say plus, like in last night, again, people get confused. No, plus is bad on, right. a, That's right. on, on, on an ability yeah, check. to your to your ability roll is bad. That's right. right. And you could, you could always subtract four from your wisdom, but whatever. Exactly. I'm sure our listeners get the point. Okay, so... Um, I turn back to John and I say, John, I say, relax. There are two goblins down there, but I believe these are two goblins that Pixie and I already uh, slayed and propped up there. But so let's be careful, though, because it might be a trick. Uh, let's, uh, um, I'm going to walk up slowly. John, you follow behind me. And so I'm going to start walking up. And I'm looking for any sort of... The brazier's still going? Yeah, yes. Okay, so as I get closer, I'm looking for any sort of movement from these guys. Uh, okay, so as you move far, move around the brazier, looking down the hallway that goes to the left where you had the, the, the main combat, um, they do not appear to move. You don't see anything down the hallway. Okay. But again, it only goes probably to the... You can't see past the corner, obviously, as you go all the way across. Yeah, you get the brazier, it exits out the brazier room, and I think then there was a corner. It goes 40 feet past the brazier room, and then goes makes a ninth, the left turn, right. 90 degrees. Okay, so we're going to proceed cautiously and as quietly as possible up to the brazier room Okay. Uh, to confirm that these two goblins are the ones we slayed and are... Yes, you, you confirm that they are the ones you've slain okay. as you look by. They are definitely dead as far as you can tell, unless you're going to check them. Okay. Um, so uh, get up to them, and we're going to... I'm going to creep on down mm-hmm. the 40 feet. Okay. I say, John, you s- stay here. Watch the way we came. Yell. If anything, I tell him to hide sort of behind, hide behind these two... Goblins. So if anyone comes, you can hide behind the goblins. Mm-hmm. And then if anyone's coming, come running to me and let me know. Okay. And Glade is going to creep quietly down the 40-foot passage and and listen to okay. see if any can hear anything. Because I think, if I recall correctly, the Hobgoblin room was not too far away. You make the left and it's 20 feet. You recall and it's 20 feet and then the room is... Right. So that's what Glade is going to do. Okay. He's... he's, he's He's taking on Pixie's role since Pixie's not here. Kind of right. Thing. So he starts, he he creeps down the hallway, and just as he she remembers, I think there is a... You, you oh, no. Yeah. And you have to roll yeah. a 20-sided That's dice. right. I did forget about that. An eight. Okay. You are successful in not taking full damage. Right. You take two points of damage. Yeah. So did not learn that lesson. That's true. And you hear... Hey, are you okay? 
So I speak. John was behind you. John is saying, hey, are you okay? What happened? Yes, yes, I'm okay. Just stay there. I triggered a trap again. <laughs> Second time. Is it the third time? Is it the third? You, you Glade hit it. Uh, Trixie, Pixie hit it well, one time. Pixie hit it first and then hit you. Then on the way back, you hit it, but you escaped being right. hit. It's, and then the third time. Yeah, so. yeah, well, you know, it's very successful. Um, right. I, oh, I stand back. That is a mistake. You are... Well, I'm, no, how light now? I you, think I'm 100. Well, I'm, now you're 100 because you're wearing armor. You were 86 pounds. That's right. 88. 88 pounds. That's right. But John, no. John, are you working for the goblins? <laughs> um, this is, I got I got a bit this this adventure is 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 way, there's more intrigue than I thought. I'd never suspected John was working for the guy. It's all a big ruse. The daughter is working, Alyssa's working for the goblins. She's actually in the back smoking. Yes. She's not even yeah. there. She was she, I've really been taken. Nothing. It's, I right. just thought it's like was, a wicker man, right? Yeah. They bring the people in to actually sacrifice. This would be a great change you know, when we talk about the module. I'll have to post that cuz that yeah. would be hilarious. Anyway, James says, "Yeah, a little bit of combat. It's be simple." Okay. So it was, eight, it was that's right. I, I had made a mistake last time, and I, wrote, I actually posted on, on grogcong.com that um, uh, Pixie is the one over 100 pounds. Glade is 86 pounds, but you've just added armor, which is 15 pounds, right. so now you're 101 pounds. Appreciate that. Sorry about that. So yeah. this, this, this I, I almost messed up, but no, you so need to get down. So. I, gra- I grabbed my side to stop the bleeding. Okay. <laughs> And now I and you now notice I the, listen. And now you notice the scythe is slowly retracting. I, I I I pay careful attention to where the scythe was, okay. and I say, John, try to help me remember. <laughs> or if there is an episode five, that there's a <laughs> episode scythe, six, six, sorry, six, that there's a scythe here. Okay, okay, all right. Great. And now I listen. Well, you don't have to listen very long when you heard. Hey, I think they're coming. Um, what's that? That's them. You know, you hear some commotion. So what I do is, in Goblin, mm-hmm. I yell, and I try to do a Goblin voice. Okay. I don't know if it's guttural or... I say, yes, they're injured. The scythe got one. We got them. Hurry, quick, to the brazier. And I go running back. Okay. And when I realize I say that, I'm going to run back, and I'm going to tell John to... Get on either side. Of the brazier. And let me tell you my plan. Okay. As I hear people coming... Does it really matter what your plan is? No. It's going to fail hard. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Let's get yeah, it. Let me know what you're... As I hear people coming, I'm going to then yell in Goblin, look, look into this brazier. What is this? Because, you know, they're looking... Well, right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give a reaction roll. And John, get the net ready. I'm going to give them a reaction roll. <clears throat> And see if they are believable. What's your charisma? It's a nine. It's a nine. Okay. Well, so let's let's I'll just find say, out. For argument's sake, uh, for those playing at home, uh, I rolled very high, so that would be favorable. That I'm just going to say that they believe that it's a goblin talking. So the one goes. Hey, I hear them. Let's go get them. And the two, you hear two footsteps and the hobgoblins like, no, oh, it's a trap or something to that effect. But the two goblins, you see them coming around as you are on the sides of that. And then, okay. And as you remember, I, 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 in goblin from around the corner say, oh, look in this brazier. What is this? Mm-hmm. Come here. 
Okay. And then, you know. So they're, they're, you, as you're on the sides of the brazier, right? John? No, we're right on the corner, oh, the okay. opening. Ah, I got So you. as they walk through, right. John throws a net, and I try and, you know. Okay, what are you going to do? What is Glade going to do if when they run by? Well, the minute they, so hopefully, it, it, the net, he's going to try to attack from behind. Well, he's so got a sack. He doesn't have a net. Oh, that's right. It wasn't a net. It's a sack. Yeah. So, all right. So, oh, this may not go so well. So, um, I say, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, wave over to John as they're coming. I'm going to say. Okay. Wait. Okay. So he, he gets his. Yeah. All right. So and they, wait for, I'm going to wait for them to come and try to get an attack on their back. Okay. Great. So uh, it will be. I'm gonna, we're going to roll for surprise because we don't know exactly when they're going to run past. Okay. But I'm going to give them, obviously, give you advantage. So okay. roll a d6. Okay. I've rolled three. a three. So you are not surprised. They are not surprised, but they are going to run past you. So whatever happens in initiative, uh, even if they win initiative, you will get your attack will be from the rear. Okay. So let's roll initiative. Okay. I'm hoping they fall in the brace. Five. Four. Okay. So they they run past you. Uh, they and you take your opportunity attacks, oh. and then they will turn around and they will attack you. And can you explain an opportunity attack? So yes, an opportunity attack is when uh, a creature who is engaged in combat runs away from someone flees from the battle uh, basically they're turning and running the idea is you know if dan and i were fighting we're, we've got we're watching each other and we're guarding and pairing but if i decide this is not going well i turn around and run then that gives a free attack uh, with a lot of advantage to dan so the the what i'm basically saying is because the goblins ran past even though they won initiative they're going to run past to the brazier they're they're and as they're turning they're going to realize that they're uh, some enemies there. They're going to get the attack and then they're going to attack. I could also argue that they stop early and they kind of stop. But we're going to do it this way. Okay, so get to, this is uh, this is your attack? Yep, so this will be, yep, this will be Glade. Okay. A seven. seven. Seven will not hit, even with a plus four, if I'm pretty sure. They are AC six, which armor class is six. You get, you don't have any other pluses, correct? I do not. Yes, you needed a 14, so you needed a 10. Okay, so now John. You're going to roll for John? John the blacksmith. Okay, John the blacksmith. It would be great if he was the hero, wouldn't it? It would be the hero. I would just take him on. He would then train to become a fighter. Right. All right, let's see how you... A three. Three, no. You have to admit. These are the white dice. I know players often say this, and I always say, give me a break. But I do feel like my rolls have been pretty terrible. Yes, these, I don't, I, right? these are her, these are horrible. So they uh, come around and they go, "Oh wow, you're attacking us!" So of course, trying one, to. Yeah, one attacks uh, Glade, um, sixteen. That's probably a hit, but it may be a miss because what's your armor class now? Five. Five. For, so fortunately, against armor class five, they're up to oh, they're one point one. I'm sorry, up to no, up to one point one. One point one is fifteen. So yes, they hit. And against John, they miss John. So oh, that's good. Okay. Now against Glade, I assume. Yes. So you take four hit points of damage. Okay. So I'm down to a... Uh, Exciting one. It to a like. one. Okay. So now it's initiative. How's this plan feeling? Well, I think the plan was okay. I think the dice... For Tarot. Yeah, and that's it. Um, you know, that's uh, there's there's a thing in the dungeon basket. Sometimes you, yeah. you best play plans and it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean actually with actually with the way my dice are rolling, it makes me feel better actually about last session realizing right. now there really isn't anything I could have done with these dice. <laughs> I mean it would have helped if I did not set off the trap again. Right. But it just would have been a, a later death, I think. Right. 
All right, well, I rolled a one for initiative. Okay. I have a three. So, okay, so you, again, have another opportunity to strike these. All right, I'm sticking with these dice. So I'm going to go with uh, Glade first. It's an eight. Eight. That's a miss, because now it's normal attacks. John, it's a two. Okay. <laughs> so this is, against, this is against Glade. Six is a miss. Why, why does God hate me? <laughs> you mean the gods here? Oh, why is your god, the hunter god? She was he or she? I haven't prayed. That's it. I think it, no, it's a he. It's a he. I didn't pray, did I? No, you haven't since the first time. You and if uh, you recall in episode three, yeah, I think or episode two when you were creating uh, Glade, episode one actually, that you were going to be very focused on this, and you really didn't like that other players don't take. I was a cleric. big, I was a big talker, right? And, and then I, not only did I not pray, I forgot I was a cleric. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were converted, and you had full of zeal, and then you went from that to. Complete. I think I think play, I think DMs mm-hmm. should be required to play every now and then. Right. It'll make them more forgiving of their own players. I was just mention, I was just thinking about that after <laughs> yesterday because. Uh, so yeah, so let's see. Uh, Fourteen. I think. What did I say? He needed AC five. He missed. So that's good. He missed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So now it's an issue. You say that is it? So it's so surprising. Look, it's true. It's true. He, missed. <laughs> he actually missed. Uh, so I guess. So I'm. Uh, by the way, it's also important as a DM to keep track of how many rounds. So this is now the third round. Oh. Because other things could happen. We, you know, we do recall there's a hobgoblin. What will the hobgoblin do? Maybe there's other creatures. There's a combat going on. Um, as you get l- later in adventures, spells have duration. They don't, they're not permanent, so they tend to run out. Um, so it's very important to keep track of time in the dungeon. We talked about the little bit first thing first, but that's part of bringing your dungeon to life and your world to life. Is There has to be all these things that cause uh, verisimilitude or whatever it's called, the... the suspension of uh, reality and allow people to truly like the fact that he he didn't pray to his deity which is why his dice are not working uh, right okay um so now so, it's so, so should my action this round be to pray hmm, this <laughs> maybe you can pray while fighting i gotta yeah you, i gotta you win do have, you do have a, right. a, a, a hunter all right ready yeah let's do it two six all right so you've won initiative it ends again. now okay that's what he says as he's attacking she Glade, thank you. Glade, or John. <laughs> yeah, he may attack you. John, yes, John he's is going to join the goblins. I'm with you. I brought him to you. <laughs> sacrifice, yes. sacrifice her. You just needed a female. Yes, I brought a trade. <laughs> I will trade this pathetic, this pathetic half-elf. Heathen, heathen half-elf doesn't pray. That's for, right. for this woman. All right. Exactly. All right, so here comes uh, Glade. It ends now. A five. <laughs> That's a miss. John, okay, John. Have it, you rolled above a 10? I don't think I've seen okay. double digits. Yeah. I've heard of double. An 8. Wow. Okay, well, this is against Glade. 11. That's a miss. 10. Okay, the, this, by the way, this is first edition. This may go on forever. <laughs> I don't know if there's any Buffy the Vampire Slayers out there, uh, but this reminds me there was a fight with uh, Xander mm-hmm. uh, in Harmony, and they're just kind of slapping at each other. This is, I think, All right, yeah, so right. this is now the fourth round of combat. Okay. Four. Six. All right, let's see. Uh, against Glade. Five. Yeah. Against it, John. It's, Six. It's rubbing off on them. <laughs> like, they're actually holding back. They're, they're, they're like, yeah. They're like, we're getting worse fighting these guys. Our skills are going down. It even says we're supposed to be dead by yes. turn 
three turns. You know, they're... wait, that that is that is that what it says on them or us? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? I'm gonna tell you. It ends. You know, we're extras, right? We're we're like the stormtroopers. We're not. We're supposed That's, to be shot. Yes. Okay, so it, I, I'm, there, I'm yelling, I'm serious. Now it ends. <laughs> okay. Here it is. They may, just, they may just, they're not even moving anymore, because they may be easier who, for them to Who hit. trained me? I want a <laughs> refund. <laughs> There's a lawsuit. There is a lawsuit at the end of this. If, it, it, and if I die, it's going to be the estate no. of That's versus... Right. That's right. All right. It's a four. <laughs> it's a seven. <laughs> come from all right now it's the fifth round right it's the fifth it's round like no it's like a heavyweight boxing match <laughs> 15 rounds we're just sort of Six. we're sparring oh my goodness it's a four four <laughs> this is against john 11 okay the worst podcast <laughs> ever it's two hours um, two hours later two hours later that's I, right i'm, I'm attacking right Bob. that's right it's a five Glade will always go first, unless I say otherwise. John, it's a 15. That is a John hit. is like, enough already. Yeah. Right. Did like a goblin accidentally walk into his swing? Is that what it was? No, but he, he does hit him, and it's, but he's using a sword, so it's just a long sword damage. So the long sword it's is a, a D8. Really that's pretty good. That's, yeah. not, that's not bad. Eight. Eight. Oh, that was, he just finally, after five, he says it's now. Uh, yes. I'm ending this. Does the head is does the head fly into the brazier? Perhaps um, you know I'll, I'll, I'll roll uh, roll a d six one and six it falls in there. Oh okay, four, four. now. It kind of, well let's see roll d eight we'll see which way that I'll say the heads came off. It's gonna probably gonna hit glade. So it goes back well you know it goes back but it actually sails over the brazier. Nice. So he kind of he kind of slices oh. it and it kind of hits like a baseball. Like what shot. was that movie where they go in the yeah they just kind of tosses that oh um two thousand one with yeah, the bones flying like the heads flying yeah exactly okay. So, um, that was good. Now, this is usually what players like to do at this point. They like to say something like, now, when the head gets cut off and goes flying to the air, does the other goblin watch it and just stand there? And can I have an opportunity attack, please? No. Okay. Uh, and that's usually what the DM says. Right, because actually he's focused on the fact the ranger, who's trained at killing goblins and those type, has yeah. gone five rounds and not even come close to it. Yeah, that was Joe. Was that John? John. That was John, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. John the, you know... Yeah. The blacksmith. In quotes. <laughs> no, he's a blacksmith. Okay, he's just, yeah. He's right. just fighting at... The, the problem with it is that this is what he needs to hit, and this is what, <laughs> this is what Clayton needs to yeah. hit. Yeah, well, yeah. And so, 18... For John, he would hit, what, three times out of 20, I think? And right. Glade needs a 14, so he would obviously hit one time out of 20. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it. Is right. it is, so now it's that the monsters went and missed. You guys uh, hit and so missed. And now it's initiative. Okay. Three. One. Oh, all, all right. right. So the, in the sixth round. Round six. <laughs> round six. Glade's going out. That's right. Going back out there. 16. That's a hit. He, he watched. He's, He's like, oh, that's, that's how you, how are you holding that? That's Show me. Good. That's pretty good. He had it the wrong, like Aaron Cameron, you know, though, Aaron Cameron's pretty good. I think that's he right. batted, he put his arms right. the, the, the wrong the way. way opposite, right? But obviously it was quite successful. All right. So um, what does Glade have? Glade has a... Uh, I assume it's a long sword. I think it's a long sword. That's right. That's, so that's one a D8. D8. That's a D8. That's all right. All right. That's a D10. Oh, sorry. All right, you caught me. All right. Sorry. That's why I have to He's watch. He's always watching me like a hawk. Five. That was, and because you're a ranger, I recall plus one damage. Right? That's good because giant class characters. That's how many hit points you have. Yeah. All right. 
So you s- finally, after recognizing that uh, everyone's getting tired, you s- stab the goblin. Goes finally, you've released me from this burden of waiting for death. <laughs> glad, to, glad to be of help. I say. Okay. <laughs> so as you fall, as you fall, you you don't hear anything after that. So in goblin, I'm gonna yell down the hallway. We got him, boss. Okay. Come any closer, I'll kill her. You're a liar. Now I do. Now here's you're a bad fighter and you're a liar. John, so Glade starts walking down the hallway and John says, There's a trap! <laughs> Don't go any further! <laughs> and Glade stops. That's right. <laughs> and we backing up. Okay. So, well, Glade says... To John, did we see? I, I can't remember how much of a look we got in that room. But last time, did we notice anybody other than the hobgoblin and the uh, besides the two goblins besides Alyssa? You did not re- see anyone more. Okay, I say in your in your w- waiting for death and running, you recognize that the room was about forty by thirty. There was a statue in the back. There's there appeared to be no other way out. Okay. And where was the hobgoblin standing in the list of... I mean, I understand they may not be in the same place. They were, he was near the statue, and the list was in the corner. There was okay. a statue back there. Okay. So I say to John, John, I have a bow. I believe I have a bow. Yes. I have a short bow. Right, with 18 arrows that you did not have originally that we adjudicate that you did have. So. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this, is, this often happens, too. I'm not a big fan of players doing this. If you've got an NPC line, so Glade says to John, John, do you have any ideas? <laughs> which is basically, I'm not going to do that actually, which is basically asking the DM for help. But so uh, Glade is going to say, John, nice work. I'm glad I was able to soften them up for you for that death blow that you did. Where is my daughter? Okay, she's right down around the corner, but please. Well, let's go. No, stop. Wow. Stop. He starts moving forward. He said, stop. I grab him. I said, attack him. I said, Number one, there's a trap right down there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Glad somebody remembered. That's right. Ow. My side hurts for some reason. Um, number two, and I you have, have a, And you have a ding in your head from the, from the uh, goblin who clubbed you. Yeah, I'm a mess. I say, John, I have a bow. I will try to get a shot at him. He, if we charge, he may simply kill her. Um, let me take a shot with my arrows. Oh. Now, what does he say? Uh, I'll give a reaction. He That's immediately fine. attacks me. <laughs> yes, poor reaction. He, t- he decides, you're worse than the goblins. You're, I'm a liability. That's right. <laughs> Better dead. You're, 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 you're going to ruin the mission. The mission's going to fail because of you. She will definitely die. Okay, so yes. He's, so I will wait for you to shoot, and then I will run in and save my daughter. Yeah. I'll save my daughter. Okay, that is fine, but please, let me try two shots first. Because I have exceptional skills. You I'm a man of many times. I'm uh-huh. doing the taken thing, sorry. Okay. So, uh, okay, so I'm going to peek around the corner. Okay. And what do I see? Uh, you see from around the corner, you don't see anything because from your vantage point, and, and by the way, uh, you didn't say you were trying to avoid the trap. Oh. So that's... roll a dex check. 20. 20. Now I get the 20. You take one hit point yeah, of damage. Yeah, he's out. It's down to John. So, so you collapse. John looks at you and goes, 
Uh, oh, so he, he immediately after that, he figures he puts uh, he takes the bag and grabs the scythe and tries to keep it from he br- actually. Let's see. He'll give him a strength check. Yes, he actually snaps. Oh, the, he snaps. The, he snaps the scythe off, and he quickly binds you as well. He goes, "I'll have to do this alone." So you want to continue to play, John, like of you wanted last time. Yeah. So now you're in the mind of John. I guess you, uh, as I transfer this over to you, you have you are completely befuddled in the fact that uh, two adventurers have somehow. I have well, to rescue three people now. Well, this is my uh, this is my daughter, right? So I got to, uh, so John is going to pray to his deity. <laughs> He's going to say a little prayer. So the, I don't know, the, the, the so blacksmith deity. That's or, right. Uh, yeah. It's the, the, the uh, uh, um, can I roll a percentile if I get a one? Metal, one yeah, one percent. Uh, one, yeah, ten, one less per- than 10%, you would get some kind of small animal Yeah. or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, like, well, you'll decide, right? Right. Uh, 90. 90. There's a lightning silent, bolt. Silence. The There's void. No, not thunder. All, all he all, he senses the void is coming for him. <laughs> he senses God. Is my, God my God has forsaken me. <laughs> right. Apparently, this all this area is full of of uh, death and destruction. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So. Um, so what? Uh, what he's going to do is he's. Uh, he's going to. Well, he knows he's there. The hobgoblin knows he's there. Mm-hmm. He's going to um, he's going to yell to the hobgoblin. He's going to try to parlay. Okay. Um, so let's roll three d six to see what his uh, charisma is, since I have okay. no idea. Seven. He's he's a, he's a homely fellow. Well, that doesn't mean okay. He's, he's, my, he's not. He's you know, he's a good personality. They, well, everyone says he has a good. Well, he's not. A, he's, well, he's not a tra- It's not about as attractive as he's just a very common man. He's not a. You know, that's why he's a blacksmith. But so, if I'm not very attractive, my recollection. You're not attractive. You're just not. You don't have. You're not very charismatic. Oh, because when you said I wasn't attractive, I was going to say, well, you. Because when people try to set me up on dates, they would always describe me as having a good personality. Right. No. He, but that's not the case. He, here. He's 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 a black. He's a gruff blacksmith. Okay. But you can try. Okay. Are you going to try to parlay with the... Yes. Okay. Um, uh, surrender now, Hobgoblin. Uh, okay. We have killed your two. We have killed your four. I change it. Your two. Your four. <laughs> All right. I give you uh. 15. No, 10 commandments. You know what he's going to do? Mm-hmm. He's going to go back and get the head, and he's going to roll the goblin head down the corridor. Okay. And say, there are many of us. And I do different voices. Yes, get the goblin head. And he's doing a lot of different voices. Roll, roll, make your intelligence. Give me an intelligence and wisdom. Roll, no, roll 3d6. For oh, got it right. To figure out what it is for this yeah. character. This is an intelligence. Ten. Ten. And then for wisdom. So that's 100 IQ. That's not yeah. terrible. Yeah. Huh? Oh, 13 wisdom. Yeah. He, he doesn't think trying different voices is, is probably a wise idea. He should just stick with plan A. This is the DM helping me. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is because he feel he realizes that, you know, because, you know, and I, because I didn't react to it, you, know, you roll the head in and he says this. And I do say there are many of us, you, yeah. you know, so we have slain. What do you want? Uh, release the girl and we shall not come in there and kill you. Okay. Send her out. Come in here, I'll kill her. All right, so you try to uh, you promise not to, you promise to leave if you release the girl. We will release the girl, 
But we get to keep the, the one that's here. That is acceptable. Right. I don't think John would... John wants his daughter saved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, new, he's neutral. Release okay. the girl. Okay. And you may have Trixie. Trixie? Yeah. <laughs> he messed up his earning. <laughs> okay. Well, I figured if you... If you, you know, I figured other people would, you know. Right. So, okay, so... Uh, you... Uh, you notice that the you hear some shuffling, and um, uh, the he, you see the well. What what is John, where is John looking down the hallway? Yes, he'll okay. be poking around the corner. Okay, so he looks down and he notices Alyssa is moving forward. She she's she's t- tied currently to a rope. We're gonna go outside. Who's who's we? Is there someone? We. I'm taking the girl outside. If anyone kills me, anyone attacks me, you're dead. She's dead. Just send the girl. You're not coming in here, right? Right. Yeah. You know, he's, he's speaking in his broken common. Um, okay, so he said, and he pushes Alyssa and says, get out of here. Okay. Does Alyssa oh, yeah, she come around? That's right. I get out of there. Father, father. Yeah. That's right. So... So now we have to. So John embraces. So John has no moral quandary. He's just going to take Alyssa and head on out. Oh, that's there's an unconscious. No, he's going to grab. He would, you know. Okay. He would try. Well, that's kind of. I don't know. Kind of live with Alyssa's help. Drag him out of there. Yeah, Alyssa's a stronger for for a small wafy thing. Is actually you know she's a peasant girl. She pulls her weight around. So yeah, she's 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 more than capable of. Uh, he's you know he's only in eighty six pounds. So yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, they will, they'll grab poor Glade. Okay. Carry Glade out of there. All right. So you, you successfully pull out, uh, Glade and, um, you know, of course, without, uh, tension, what happens in the zero rule? Because you're, because Glade went to zero, what happens? Well, so that he needs to be bound, right? So well, they bound he, he would be, okay. So he's, uh, he's unconscious. He's not losing any more hit points. Uh, but he, of course, is going to need to be healed. Right. Uh, and so, you know, obviously when we got back to uh, this little village, uh, hopefully there would be, you know, they, they would need to find a cleric somehow. Mm. No cleric in this town? Not really. Just, you basically have to wait to... Well, John doesn't have a lot of money, I don't think. No. He's not going to... Well, he's just going he's gonna to hold you up in, your, in, your, in his room. Well, I mean, it's not a cherry. I'm not a. I'm not a hostel, says John. Oh, well, well, I was the next morning. Glades would awaken because he was he. She was at zero hit points, but will not be able to adventure for oh. a week if you go down to zero hit points. Oh not yeah, be able to adventure. I never really thought about that because you know usually always the characters when they hit zero, someone is going to do cure light wounds and they come. But I guess so at some point in time. Well, that's, I was wondering if I was going to remain in just a. Uh, no, you know, unfortunately, this, you know, as we had in the last session, if you had to, if you get to zero or less, um, and then you were after you come back. Yeah, I didn't know if I didn't know I would come back without a, a cure light wound. So, but yes, yeah, yeah. at zero hit point. Well, the, basically overnight you rest. You oh, that's get, true. I'd get the hit point. You get your hit point. That's true. I'd get the hit point. So in the <clears throat> actually, so what happens is I'll say that John brings both of you back. He has some conscience. And um, he, in the morning, Glade wakes up, feels horrible, like she's been in a combat, that she's been scythed a few times. Uh, she's despondent with herself because she has failed to be a good uh, acolyte. Mm-hmm. 
um, and will be very ill for a week as she recovers from this traumatic experience. Yeah, and I assume, right? So, so, so she'll she'll live, uh, which is good. I assume Pixie. Well, we don't know what's going to happen. So, what do you do? So, after a week of resting and convalescing, what does Glades do? You're back at full hit points now. Uh, seeks uh, a, a party of adventures. <laughs> Offers a reward for the rescue. You're not going to try to go back. Basically, and see basically, what Glade becomes the like that beginning part for other parties. You know, yeah. like so, you are approached by you are in a tavern, right? And a half elf approaches you and says, "Please, you must help me." My, my my pixie, my my dear friend is, has been taken. Oh, I offer hilarious. a reward. Right. I have not much money. So, well, after a week, you're able to then go back to the tavern, um, and you unfortunately you realize that this probably wasn't the best place to come because no one comes by this area. So, yeah. After a couple of days of hanging out in the tavern, and um, are you going to compensate uh, John for his uh, kindness? Because uh, he's, he, he's not feeling like he should provide you... By the way, he took his uh, chain yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll give him a, a two gold pieces right. for, his, for his hospitality. Oh, and, very well. We're, uh, thank you again for your help. Uh, I'm, I'm glad at least you found Alyssa. So, yes, yeah, so she was saved. So, uh, yes, what is the reward? That, I thought that was your friend who kept asking for rewards. In fact, I remember you saying there is no need for rewards, sir. Doing good was was best. I see. So that's You must be channeling uh, mm-hmm. Pixie. Pixie. You're, you must be dis- distraught. So, um, he counsels you. He's very concerned. You're not acting the same. When you first met, you were full of yeah. kindness and goodness, that's, and, that's and what, now you're not praying to a deity. Yeah, that's what happens. It, it changes, <laughs> changes quick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do feel like you. I, did, I would give you anything. So he hands you back the chain shirt. Uh, and he fashions you a helmet as well, so you do receive that. Oh, thank you, thank you, John. So, Alyssa, Alyssa talked to me, and even though I thought you guys you don't deserve anything, but she said it would be best. She was appreciative of that. Okay. Um, and you notice she's in the back whittling figurines. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's not, no, not that, no. Well, I mean, I could, I could just settle down here, it's, you know, retire, and it's a nice place. And no, is that, are you kidding me? It's like, how many people live in this place? It seems like the goblin to person ratio is. It's a hamlet. Well, there's probably yeah. six or seven buildings total in this hamlet. That Great. Most people. Are. So there probably is a higher population of goblins. So all right, yeah, I don't like this place at all. You were you, you were traversing through. I'm here. moving on. Okay. I'm moving on. Look, I just met Pixie. I did my best. Pixie's probably dead. I know I'm. You know, there's no one else here to go in. If I go in, I, I can't take on. I'm not going to be able to take on a hobgoblin okay. uh, very well. Um, I'm going to pray to my deity, and unless I get a sense that my deity tells me differently, I'm going to keep moving on. All right, very good. I think that would be a good uh, time to then end this session where at least Alyssa was saved from from that, and one of the characters, Glade, will continue. What happened to Pixie? We're not sure. What other mysteries were in the dungeon? We're not sure about that, too. So... Um, this will end this part of it, and then we'll have to decide with Dan during the week. Because, um, again, I think we like this little...
playing because you get to learn scenarios and this and that. And hopefully you guys can comment if this is something you're interested in. But we played for about 45 minutes, so this will be a good time to stop this part. Well, you're you're having fun. This is this is almost as fun as last night where, yeah. where we survived that craziness. This was the opposite of that. So, um, well, okay. So just a couple of things. So the dungeon... Um, do you want to know? Well, because this is for educational purposes. Um, so I got this uh, dungeon from, it's the Delian Tomb. And uh, there's only a couple more rooms that, only one more room that uh, Dan and uh, Dan's characters not go through. It was built by Matt Coville, uh, who's a YouTube uh, advocate for D&D, great guy. I'll, I'll put a link for him. So if you're a beginning DM and you don't, you know, as you saw, this took about four hours, three to four hours of time. That's one session. If you were to do this in one time, you do it for three or four hours and you play. It's relatively simple. I would certainly encourage anyone to do it. And um, basically, so some of the things I had to do is I had to have a setup where John, you know, that was interesting. We'll talk about that during social encounters. Um, you know, the more prep time, as Dan said, the more fleshed out this would be. And, um, you know, it was a it was a good adventure. And now there's there are hooks that as a dungeon master, I have to decide what happened to uh, Pixie. Maybe in Glade's travails, she finds some information that Pixie's still alive. Uh, you know, that's the classic thing where the, a couple gets uh, split and something happens to the other person and finds out later. I could have that the next session or three or four sessions. Why was Alyssa captured? We still don't know that reason. Um, so there's a lot of things we could plug into. So as a dungeon master, it's always good to kind of somewhat get an idea from the players. Uh, so, but what Glades is going to do is he, she's going to look for some other adventures to party on. She's leaving this hamlet and moving on to bigger pastures. She wants, she, she, she wants a larger party. Okay. <clears throat> Very good. Very good. Okay, great. Well, we'll, Dan, any other questions for this part? No, nope, no, nope, that was fun. All right. I, I had a, I, I, this, this has been a lot of fun so far. All right. Very good. So now we're in our next segment called Word of Recall. Word of Recall. And Word of Recall um, is about interactions with NPCs. We're talking about encounters, and it's a core part of the uh, game. So, Dan, maybe you can describe um, what encounters are, how you've handled them briefly, and, and, and why... Um, they can either be a very fun component or sometimes n- not so fun from a DM perspective. Sure. So the dungeon master, I think, has, has a difficult job, whereas a player character usually only has to play one character. And the DM, of course, has to play everybody other than the player characters, right. which includes all NPCs. NPC means non-player character. So, you know, in the game session we just had... That up until disaster struck, that would have been John, right. the blacksmith, and of course Alyssa. And in addition to that, has to play the role of any monsters, uh, you know, like the goblins in the last adventure. And you know that it it can be very, it can be difficult, but it can also be very enjoyable. So you've got to get into the minds of all these different characters and play them. Right. And um, I think the people who embrace being a dungeon master or running the game, they must, at least to some extent, like that interaction. Um, that's the benefit of running it, is that you're, you're always part of the game. There's no time off, quote-unquote, first air quote for the podcast, 
where you can just sit back and not do anything. You're always having to engage. So um, I think those who gravitate towards that is because they want to know what's going on. They like building worlds or being part mm-hmm. of it and being part of that action. So, um, but as Dan said, it's, it's a lot of work and it does require um, some improvisational skills. And uh, that, that comes over time. Sometimes, you know, you can be very matter of fact or other times. So here's our, here's our sheet. You can hold on to that. Yep, thank you. Um, so, and in fact, you know, back in the dungeon masters guy, right? Uh, page one Oh two, one Oh three, Gary Gygax talks about, um, the role of the dungeon master. So first thing I would suggest, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, when I got back into the hobby a few years ago and now I've listened to a lot of podcasts and, and you know, we've gone over 40 years plus of, of dungeon dragons, um, all the things, by the time the Dungeon Masters came out, Dungeon Masters guy came out in 1979, most of the things were already thought of as far as um, how to play, the challenges you will have. You know, I, I sometimes listen to these uh, other podcasts or go on websites and talks about that these are new developments. You know, after a few years, once the game went from being a, a hobby that people just did in their own to being a professional product and even still would be refined the, the basic things are so again one or two uh, as the dm you are the moderator judge jury and supreme deity i love that that's you're actively engaged and role playing throughout the course of the campaign from game to game so you've got to deal with uh different roles and so there's he gives some great guidance on what you have to do and, and how you provide flavor to the game and the basic uh, advice he gives is, be what would a rational person do who's looking out for their self-interest? That's what he basically has in the description. And I, I like to mention, because I, I think that's absolutely right. I think what's fun, too, though, is to take into account the intelligence yep. of the monster, right? So, you know, last night, as you know, there, you know, there, there, there's a hill giant, there's an Etna in it, and they have low intelligence. So it's, it's okay. a challenge to play those creatures, those monsters, in a way where it is about their self-interest, but also if they're not very intelligent, to play them not very intelligent. And then to play a character who is very, or a monster is very intelligent, very intelligent. Yeah. And so that, that is, so you can't just play them all like, oh, they have my intelligence, right. you know, you've got to adjust that. So setting up NPCs is a lot of work for a dungeon master. And I would say unless, uh, as a beginning dungeon master, the more you can do... Uh, that's the part that's probably going to be the most challenging the, besides rule adjudication uh, as far as if they do something, you're not exactly clear what the rule is. So um, how much detail, Dan, do you put in when you're setting up your NPC? Do you usually play, uh, you like to run uh, modules from the past, mm-hmm. you read them, do you do any more work on that? So what's your approach to doing that? So it depends how much, as it often is, it depends how much time I have. Yeah. So... This is not your number one thing, getting ready for us Friday? Well, actually it is. Okay. <laughs> Probably. Okay. Okay. Shouldn't be. Okay. Uh, but, but, but an adventure can have many, many NPCs. Right. So, for example, you know I'm a big fan of, of the halls of uh, uh, Tyson Thane. And there are, you know, it'll be like, okay, or, you know, I just ran Mork and Dane. These will have, like, well, there's 12 bandits. Or 18 bandits. And if you really wanted to, you could have personalities drawn up for every one of those. And that can help. So, for example, I think if I recall correctly, and I don't say Tyson thing. It could be Tizen thing. But 
uh, in Tizen Thane, I believe you guys started talking to one of the NPCs. You had this interaction. We talked it, to the goblin ambassador, one of the goblins. You talked to the, one of the goblins. You talked to this one night because I think there was one guy who, who gave you a note. And if you know about their background, that's really helpful with that interaction. But the problem is, is if you don't know who the party's going to talk to and you've got 20 bandits, right. having personalities for 20 bandits is, I mean, maybe it makes more sense to just have a personality for a couple and then use those. I'm sure there's tricks of the trade yeah. that I haven't learned yet. Uh, but so, you know, the answer to your question is how much time do I have? If I've got a lot of time and I'm really interested in the adventure and I think there's a real chance for intrigue, I will spend more time on it. If I think it's more just going to be a hack and slash, not so much. So it, it, it really depends. I think one of the things that you have to be okay with as a DM is understanding that you may put in a lot of work into the NPCs and they never, it's kind of like in a movie where you act in a movie, your little part, and it gets, it's on the cutting room floor right. and you never make it in there. So I think you just, you need to be aware of a lot of work might end up being for naught, but a lot of work might turn out to make a great difference in a game, in a situation. So it depends. I, 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 I tend not to do it. I tend to have a sort of in the back of my head, a general idea of what the personalities are like of the main characters, the lower NPCs. In all honesty, I would probably tend to wing it. Yeah, and I and and to dovetail on that, you know, the, how much detail was really? Is this a one shot or is this a campaign? Um, and then the second thing, a lot of advice which I agree with, and I should do a better job being more organized, is you know I use on the tablet OneNote to keep track of things, but a lot of people use flashcards, index cards. You should never waste anything you have because uh, unlike a movie where it goes on the cutting room floor. The players don't know it's on the cutting room floor. They don't know that they never met uh, Bob the uh, bandit number 17. In fact, you can just do two bandits and let's because usually they're only going to capture one or two of them. So whoever, no matter if you name them or label them, they'll always be those two. Whoever two bandits they capture, those will be the two that they they talk to. And um, you know, as as the more you start building up your repertoire of you know, uh, personalities and things and, and feelings of what these folks are. So you start with um, the creature type, their alignment, mm -hmm. their intelligence, and uh, most of the time in the monster manual, they have a description of their attitude and how they think. Um, and so that's, those are the kind of things you would, you would look at. So um, kind of playing the NPC you know, one of the things, uh, Dan, do you, do you try to do accents and mannerisms, right? That kind of rolls into the whole role playing, which we'll talk about. Right. And if I can mention real, real quick, I believe somewhere in the DMG, there is character, exactly characters for NPCs to, to do it randomly. And, I, and I've used that before. And that can be a lot of fun uh, because you never know what you're going to get. Uh, but so, well, I try to do accents and mannerisms. Uh, I don't know if you know, I think some players probably like it more than others. Uh, you know, so as, as you know, with combat, I try to make it colorful and describe what's happening. And I saw online, some people don't like that. Right. I think it can be overdone and they don't like it. And so, uh, I, yeah, I try to always do uh, mannerisms, try to speak like they're speaking. And I can tell you where I got that from was... About two years ago, when I decided to start playing again, and I knew I was going to have to DM a game to get the group together, I decided to run uh, B1, uh, B2, Keep mm -hmm. on the Borderlands. And I believe in Keep in the Borderlands, 
Gary Gygax talks about yeah. how you should DM the game. And he talked about you should not only do you talk about what you've already mentioned, which is play the monsters intelligently, but you should also do voices. And so I read that and hey, it's Gary Gygax saying it. Right. So so the answer to your question is yes, I try to do accents and mannerisms. I don't know if, if it if it bothers some players or not. Yeah, and, and it, uh, you got this goes back to reading your room and the kind of players you have. I think first edition, um, because it was still a new thing we talked about, uh, what did we talk about uh, just before we started, that you had not played that way. What was the thing? Oh, hiring henchmen and highlands yeah. we'll talk about. You know, we uh, pre-internet, we all kind of figured the game out based on who we started with. Someone got the books at some point. They kind of guessed what the game was or they played with someone else. And you have this iteration, this of a permutation of D and D that um, you you started to learn. So it's when you've cross pollinated, when you've gone to conventions, or you go now with the internet, you start realizing there's other things. So one of the things I wrote down is the attack of the monologue, and this is a this is something as a player uh, people don't like. So uh, you know I didn't I didn't talk to Dan about this, but what do you think attack of the monologue is? I assume it, what attack of the monologue is. You're describing a DM. Who is? I, I could be wrong on this, but the DM who is giving a very long uh, explanation, having an NPC. So the king has brought you for this mission, and twenty minutes later, the king has stopped talking to the right. party, and yeah. and and the DM is reading. Which this is hard because I read too, uh, oftentimes because you don't want to forget things when you don't read. Right. You know, I remember one time in, in one of these adventures, I'm like, oh, yeah, and I forgot to tell you that there's a uh, the brazier with blood in the... Or whatever, there, there, there's the thing. We're like, what? Because what I was trying to do... Right. And, and you know, and then you look terrible. But, but what, you know, what I was trying to do is is try to have more just explaining as opposed to sitting there and reading it. You enter the room, you see a this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, and so I understand why there's a temptation to read because you want to make sure you don't miss anything. In the same vein, if it gets too long... People sort of check. I think they start to check out. Yes, so I see. That's what you're talking about. Yes, um, and and if I offend anyone, then that's fine. Um, especially when we were younger, part of being the dungeon master is, like you said, you prepare. But part, you, you're thinking about your world, what the players are going to do. You become invested in the story that you're building. But it's not just your story. You're setting up the world, and the players have to interact. And w- the game should be about the players with you as uh, facilitating that and your enjoyment should be the interaction and seeing how the story unfolds. When you do a giant monologue because you've spent uh, days and days of figuring out all the history and the background and as Dan said, the king stands up 4,000 years ago. My great-grandfathers who fought the the orc horde and then in 2005 and he goes through this whole history and none of it is relevant to the players. They just want to know, we have to go to the caves and save uh, the princess from that thing. So it's finding that fine line. I think one of the best advice is um, you don't have to explain everything. Uh, you can sometimes just say something and players, if they're interested, they'll ask you about it. You could say, you know, during the, during the great hobgoblin invasion, our, the artifact was lost. And they could ask, hey, what is the hobgoblin invasion? You don't have to sit here and explain that Prince Ararak attacked and defeated the goblin horde and blah, 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 blah. So allow your world to kind of flesh out as they talk about it, as opposed to monologuing, because 
players, no one likes to hear that. Uh, it's unfortunately your players are not as invested as you are in your world. And and I'd like to comment on that because I think that's also something important for players to remember is that if they're not as invested as the DM, they should have a little bit of investment. So, you know, right. so in other words, so, so that the DM has worked really hard on the backstory, you know, you know, if the DM is going to sort of shorten that and not have the big long monologue. I'm going to steal this for a Keep going. You're obviously hoping that the players will be taking some notes too and, right. and, and care about the backstory, and particularly if it's a campaign. Because if it's a campaign, as opposed to a series of one-shots, I assume that the DM is hoping to have that backstory become right. Re- it may not be relevant for that adventure, but it's going to become relevant down the road. So I think, you know, I, I guess it's sort of meeting in the middle. Yeah. DM, don't overdo it. Player characters, if the D- you said, so we talk a lot about how the DM needs to read the, the table. I think the players, too, should read the DM to an extent, right? right? And if the DM seems to be very interested in this, you know, it have some interest and write down the names. I mean, I know you're very good at that. If I call correct, I think you write down. You t- I was taking notes. Right. Um, and so it's, it can be a little discouraging for a DM. Um, I mean, it is for me. I mean, uh, you can comment on this. If that you've, you talked about this backstory and then it's like, well, wait, what? Right. Who did what? Why, why are we, we searching? Why are we here? Why I mean, is this artifact important? And so, yeah. And some of it's not the DM's fault. Sometimes, you know, like yesterday's session, there's we had new players and other things going on. And it's sometimes you forget what's going on. The players... Sure. And, and we have the situation, we play every other week. And it's hard to remember it two is. weeks have gone by. And so people are like, what did we do? I ask you guys, right. like, where were we? What happened? Where, where, did you, what did you guys do? It's hard. It's hard. Um, it's so, break. you know, depending on the logistics, it's it's taking notes. So uh, players should be taking notes because that shows the, the least investment. Um, one of the things is PC expectations. And as a DM, you, you should be setting them early and then trying to remind them every once in a while. You know, in the age of technology, people have their tablets and they may have the, the books on the tablets and they drift from reading a rule to looking on Facebook and all of a sudden half the people have checked out. Um, so part of it's engaging. You know, it's, uh, I think this is where if you have an education background, you have the same challenge. You're trying to teach people material and some of them want to learn and some of them don't. And you got to use techniques Asking them direct questions, keeping the thing moving forward to 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 get them to get. So monologuing, I would have, I would keep it short. You don't have to explain everything. You can just say things, and if they ask about it, great, they'll write it down or not. Um, so you mentioned about the hill giant Ettons. Do you do you treat playing NPCs differently when it's a Etten versus the town uh, crier or whatever it is? I don't. I don't think I do. So, Etten are pe- Ettons are people, too. Okay. Right, right. And Hill Giants are people, too. So, um, until we slaughter them. Until they're slaughtered. So, other than the fact that oftentimes these creatures have low intelligence, so obviously you've got to adjust for that, and you've got to, you know, adjust for um, alignment as well. Um, I, I, I don't treat them differently, do you? So, it sounds like there might be a difference that well, I'm not picking up on. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit only because... Um, Monsters tend to become very uh, cookie cutter. You know, an orc is an orc is an orc. Is an orc. It doesn't have to be, but we tend to re- you know relegate them to being the the description that's in the uh, in the monster manual. Whereas a character, you have there's charts for characters. You can give all personalities, so you have to decide: Are you going to give flavor in the world that you're uh, running us through the uh, 
city-state of the Innocent Overlord, there are humanoids, monsters, that populate the city, and they act more like characters. So the question is, are you going to do that, or are you going to um, just treat them as generic orc number 57 that you you run through? What I like to do, as you may have noticed, is I like to give the monsters names. So I think as a DM, when I give a name to a monster, Mm -hmm. that helps me treat that monster... As, as more like, uh, you know, an NPC. Uh, and so what I do, so if I've got a group of 12 goblins, you know, I usually do it like A, like A-Zag, B-Zag, A-Zag, you know, do the letters to make it easy. Um, but I give them names. Uh, and that helps me yeah. then get into uh, the idea that they're not just, you know, monster number three. I, I, you know, I don't like the idea of goblin number three. I mean, you had skeletons one, two, three, and four, but they're skeletons. They're, they're mindless. Bones. They're mindless, exactly. Well, some of them have more personality than some of the players we had based on the one has been, one is more brave than the rest. That's of true. Them. Very successful, yeah. They, they ran into combat against 12 ghouls when the rest of us were looking for the exit. They're fearless. Right. Oh, they're right. Great. So, yeah. So, so I would recommend giving your monsters a name. And I think that helps. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, alignment. We talked about the languages, racial adjustment. These are all tools that can help you um, when you end up with a situation. So, for instance, the goblin, or excuse me, the hobgoblin. If the hobgoblin knew that Glades was a, a, a half-elf, Probably, I would look up in the player's handbook, there's adjustments that you could look at, uh, and I would use goblin or orc, and I would kind of say, well, they're hated. So that would uh, predispose them. You know, we, you know there is uh, racial uh, animosities, depending on the type of uh, thing. That, and that can happen in a town. You, the, the elf walks into the dwarf bar. It should not be, hey, friend. It should be more of the initial time when Gimli, uh, when the elves meet the dwarves. Well, I like, I like in last night's game session where... The ranger was talking about well, what's his specialty, and he says, "Well, killing orcs." And then there's a half orc in the party, right. and half orc turns around, and you know, everyone else is sort of pointing at That's the right. half orc. He's only half mad. Oops, He's, he only hates some half. Yes, right. And alignment is you know how if you know the alignment versus the alignment because um, that's your worldview. It's it's what the character thinks and languages. Um, you know. Dan and I do an okay job with this, but we certainly could do better. We kind of hand wave. Oh, who speaks Goblin? And mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, the number of the characters because their classes, uh, so their races speak Goblin. We we allow them to interact with them like it's their first language, as opposed to, you know, you're basically like if I took a, a um, what's that Rosetta Stone Spanish mm-hmm. and then went into Colombia, they're going to know I'm not that, and I'm going to be- definitely not going to be as fluent. As I uh, I could be, you mm-hmm. could use you could you make it that a role. You could have them roll before the they start their character, saying, "Yes, you are you know a, you have an ambassador level uh, or a translator level of a language, or you just know the ba- you know conversational goblin. Uh, where's the town? How do, where's the people we have to kill? How much money you know we're getting? That kind of thing. Yeah. And I think those are areas to help you if you get that situation where. As Dan said, they're fighting 12 goblins. One of, they capture one of the goblins and they say, we interrogate him. Okay, what kind of, how is he going to be? What are you going to do with that? Um, and then the, you know, and so one of the challenges we have is that scenario. It happened in, and I put, what's the guard's name? Uh, you know, you, you've set up this town or the town's there and you, you know, there's two guards standing in, in front of the gate and you just assume the player's going to walk by and they go, 
uh, I want to talk to that guard. Mm-hmm. And they go, hey, I'm the guard. And they're like, what's your name? And you're like, uh, I don't know. That's what happened with John. I forgot to give John a name. I gave the daughter a name, but I didn't give John a name. So I had to make one up and I came up with John, which is horrible. You go out. There's plenty of sites. We'll talk about that in suggestion where you can come up with names. Um, what's your advice when giving NPC names? You have some do's and don'ts when it comes to generating names? Well, I have do's, but I don't do the do's. So everyone will tell you that you should have a list of names. Yeah. Just a list of names. And so when that happens, I talk to the guard and say, what's your name? You can just look at the list. So it's just a you know, list of names. And you scratch it off or whatever when you use it or you write down who it is. Right. And and so, I, don't, I mean, you can obviously give NPC names in advance. I think that's probably I – mean, I guess you should do both. It doesn't take long to give a name. But even if it's – John the Blacksmith worked fine. I didn't know you were making up John the Blacksmith because you said it quickly and it was fine. And so I think the key is, as the DM, to not look like you're stumbling and making up the name. So if you can come up with it fast, great. I, th- I, think, what, I think what's important is that you do write down the name somewhere. I mean, there's so much you're trying to do as a DM. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget about things like, okay, where did I write that name? Because if you come up with John the Blacksmith on the fly... Yeah. You're gonna you may forget. If you don't write down John the Blacksmith. Rufus, bartender, John Blacksmith, Alyssa, daughter. See, and, 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 and if organization seems to be so important as a DM. Yeah. So that way you've got that continuity. When the adventure starts up next time, you know it was John the Blacksmith as opposed to, yeah, what was that guy's name again? And have to listen to us over and over again, which is painful enough. Yeah, I I I, I think that coming up with NPC names in advance can be fun. Right. Uh, because, you know, first edition AD&D, my recollection is, you know, the names are often kind of silly and entertaining. And so you can have some, you know, so, I mean, in, in the adventure that you guys are going through now, I had assigned some names like, the you know, the Drunken Dwarf is yeah. Dribbler. Dribbler, that's uh-huh. good. That's you a know, great name. Yeah, and so it's a little, and so you kind of remember that when it's Dribbler, people tend to remember it. So, uh, yeah, that that's important. But I think this this shows how much work. Right. Think about how much. Think about our advice that we're giving to DMs. I, I I might be frightened to be a DM. We're telling you what is optimal. I don't think anyone who's thinking about DMing a game should freak out right. and say, "Oh my gosh!" Because think about everything we're telling you. You should maybe try to come up with personalities for the NPCs. You should give the NPCs names to have them in advance. I also have a list for any NPCs that come. That's a lot of work. Right. Uh, you should try strive for this, but you know. It's not the end of the world. The, you the, the, what we did in the basic game, I and mean, this is the my notes. I, again, went to Matt Koval. He made a PDF. This is the sheet. It has the map. It has brief descriptions. And the only thing I had to improv was, you know, the way they started the, the module. Because it basically, the, there was no uh, plug-in, the hook, to get the characters to this adventure. So I created a tavern. I called it a nondescript tag, you know, the, the copper, uh, what did I call it? The, copper, I, the, rust, the rusty dagger. Rusty dagger, rusty, rusty dagger. dagger just threw that out there. And which is why it's nice as, as a player right, to take notes and to keep that with you. But so I, I didn't write rusty dagger, but I wrote Rufus as the bartender and John and Alyssa. And um, so I made those up and, you know, so you don't have to do a lot of prep. And, you know, level one is be comfortable enough to run combat you can be fair be able to interact and understand the things of it if you can write a list of names or go online and get them one of the 
don'ts about names. And you know, when you use a random generator, you, you may see uh, great fantasy names. So I have one of my uh, recurring villains in the campaign I'm running is called Lord Neonargle. Sounds great. The player characters like Lord, eh, the that yeah. bad, that guy, the Neo Nargle, Narg Nosegard, and like no, it's Neo Nargle. He's the Dark Lord who's returned. They don't care. Yeah, keep it simple. Dribbler's good. You know, I should have just called it. You know, Vecna. Why is Vecna good? It's two two syllables. <laughs> you know, you got to remember it. So short, short and memorable. Is that what short you're saying? Short and memorable. Try not to go with these huge names unless you have players who are going to go all in. You know, and, yeah. and there and there are some, and if they are, then you should always go for the person who's really invested, because that's the player that you know. Just like you as subscribers, we're doing it for not only for ourselves, but the people who subscribe. That's what keeps us going, and, and put you want to put the effort in. Um, so, why are all the merchants cheap, omniscient, and angry? Are they? They are. Okay. Well, you. you why don't you explain? It? Why are they? I want to know. Why well, are they every all time cheap the players? That's the player's big yeah. complaint. When they go to the thing, no, we're not going to haggle with you. It's always going to cost more. It actually, we never get a deal. It's and they seem to know all the prices of the, throughout the realm. Yeah, they, they and they seem surprised actually if the price being charged is just at the list price in the player's handbook. They're like, really? It's not plus ten percent, right? <laughs> well, I think it was the Borderlands. Then the Borderlands, I think, said that at the keep, it's, uh, it's higher because you're out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, yeah, I guess that's I okay. So that's a good question. I can tell you from a DM standpoint, I think that you know the players quite understandably are always looking for the best deal, as right. they should be, because their money's limited. If you're make if you're playing by the book and you're charging them for training, they may not have enough money to train. So you get it. And, uh, rumor, and they have a hundred gold piece upkeep per month per level, which we tend to hand wave. But that's in the book as well, correct? Correct. That is correct. I think from the so from the DM standpoint, I would be concerned that of setting a precedent too much. So I guess from the, from my standpoint as a DM, it's just a lot easier to go with the list price. To me, it's not really exciting to spend time haggling over the price of a flask of oil. I want to get adventuring. And so even if in reality there would be a lot of haggling, to me, I I would rather just say, look, it's the price in the book. Let's not waste our time haggling over it. Uh, So I guess that that would be my, as a DM, that would be my answer to that question. Well, just like yesterday that we had to go to a priest or a cleric. And we got list price, and we tried to do this and that, and we basically we almost got charged more. I would have said, yeah, because it was I think seven thousand for right. the exorcism. Honestly, I, I probably would have said nine, yeah, just because I know you guys, and I know you guys are going to haggle. Cheap, omniscient, they know all the prices, yeah. and angry. They like, well, if, basically, if you upset me, we're you're not going to get anything. And and I guess you didn't like the idea that. So a little inside baseball, raised dead in the GM Dungeon Master's Guide, the cost of that is five thousand. Exorcism was seven thousand, right? So I thought about murdering the character who was possessed and bringing him back because I assumed the creature that what had possessed him, assuming it was exorcism, would be released from that. But apparently, well, I said no. Well, we don't. I, we, I don't know. I, two, I just questioned. I don't know. Two thousand gold. That's a lot of money. It is interesting that the exorcism costs more. Yeah, I was going to stone cold murder him, but 
We didn't, and we just paid that. But there was no haggling. There was nothing. I think it's, you know, that is the kind of game you want to do. How much time? I think as we got older, if we were younger, it was a lot more fun because we had a lot more time. You could spend an hour jibber-jabbering, but we don't have a lot. We want to get in the dungeon, and you waste a lot of time with that. Yeah, so I I guess my thought on that is, for that very reason, that you want to get things moving along, is... And, and where does it end? So I know, so player characters always want, well, I want a discount. So if you're the cleric, mm-hmm. or if you're not a cleric, I go, I go to my temple, whatever, my church. Right. I want, don't, I, don't I get a member discount? Where's a member discount? Well, have you prayed recently? Well, yeah, I'm praying all the time. Well, I didn't hear that. So I guess the thing is, is that... At a certain point, as a DM, I just get sort of a sense of just trying to reduce the prices in the player's handbook. Yeah. And I don't know. That, that to me, I mean, where, where, where does it end? I mean, let's put it this way. It's a training. Right. I mean, it's training. So You can haggle with that because most the, the pressure in first edition is you never have enough money. The cost of training is literally almost all the money they get. So I guess, I guess the question is, do you want to have that kind of game or do you not? So if you want to have that kind of game where there is the pressure of money, then trying – so is it – you know, so if the players are – the players – and I, I get it. They're going to want free training. Yeah. Will the elves train me? Will this guy train me? Okay. Will John the blacksmith train me to be a black to, – to handle a, uh, a sword because he's a bastard. Yeah. He's so good at it. He's one for one. So, you know, and so at a certain point, it's just sort of like, well – He didn't even get hit. He didn't get touched. No, he's great. And the thing is then – if you give free training, like okay, fine, free training for the elves train a free training for everybody. Can you ever charge for training again? No. I mean, I guess you can, no. but there's boo. No. And so now is now is training out. It just to me, if you're gonna play where money is an issue, right. if that's the game you want to play, I would just prefer to look. Just assume it's the price in the player's handbook. You're gonna pay. You're not gonna get free training because this is people. Do you really think the elves are running a charity business? No. You know, it's like, oh, I'll train you for a week right. back, for free. Right. Back to Gygax's thing. You treat them as they are, you know, sentient beings that are have self-interest. They're not altruistic in, in any sense. They have to do that. I think the two parts that makes first edition, that's part of the first edition appeal. One is money means something and you have ways to spend it. And there's, good, and there's, uh, there's a lot of rules on how to extract money from people because... Um, you and that's definitely a first tier if you want to break up the game to low level play when you play from levels one to five money is very critical you know once you get to 15th level it doesn't matter money becomes irrelevant you cannot spend the money uh, fast enough and you can try to constrain it but it, it becomes problematic um, and the other kind of axiom of dungeon first edition dungeon dragons is that everything in the book is the optimal price in other words you the price you're paying for that plate mail is 400 gold pieces if you have a good relationship that you're a human talking to another human so you know flipping around what dan said when you talk to the priest it's assuming you're a member of the priest and that's why it's seven thousand. if you were from another deity or everything else it actually should be twenty five thousand. and we don't and players don't think that way they think 
that's the highest price. It's like the list price and they're working down. We have to keep reminding people, no, no, this is the, this is the discount price. It goes up from here, just like with fighting. If you fight with your proficient weapon, you get no bonuses. If you fight with a weapon you're not proficient in, you get minuses. It's not that you're proficient in everything and then if you're good at stuff, you get higher. Later editions change that, but that's how first edition works. It starts with the premise of this is the best it's yeah. going to be and it goes downhill from you're- here. Right, so I, I, the sense I get is the premise of 1E, from what I'm hearing from you, and I don't disagree, is that you should be happy not to be penalized. Right. I'm not penalizing you, That's and right. you should be happy. Right. Um, and I should mention, in all fairness to the player's side, is that as the DM, I probably take joy in upping the price. Yeah. So... You know, ah, I'm gonna it, nine thousand. So in all in all fairness, the players could be sitting here having the same conversation, saying, ah, the DMs don't like haggling. Oh, but they love to up the price. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I guess sort of, you know, I wonder if this is sort of the conversation that you have at the beginning of a campaign. You say, look, let's talk about money and how much things cost, yeah. and whether we're gonna, uh, you know, maybe as a DM you say, look, I prefer if that's what you want to do. I prefer not to spend my own time a lot of haggling. So what I'm not gonna do is. I'm not going to be upping a lot of prices for you, yeah. but I don't be having to lower. Let's just make things simple. Unless there's something very unusual, the price is going to be in the player's handbook. There's not going to be free training. The prices are in the player's handbook just to keep everybody on the same page. Right, exactly. So I think the only thing I would say with that, and we're going to talk about some of this, um, you can. it's just like anything in the game. You can just do it uh, without a mechanic component, or you can use the mechanics, and we'll talk about some of that. So... Um, there, there is a there is a feature of one e and before in before editions and I don't know how much it, it's kind of waned as a style of play at least from my looking at future editions the idea of hirelings and henchmen um, and this was a kind of a vital thing when you taught when you see things about from the seventies the parties were massive they had lots of people lots of characters traversing through a dungeon it was it wasn't the four superheroes going in there was you know fifteen twenty things. Uh, and, and they break out into basically hirelings versus henchmen. So, Dan, you know, we talked a little bit about it. What's your understanding of the difference between a hireling and a henchman? So my understanding, and this was from talking to you before this podcast, because when I played, I started playing around 1980. We were not using a lot of hirelings and henchmen. Yeah. Maybe we should have. But uh, hirelings, my understanding, is a lesser skilled yeah. uh, a character, a henchman, is what we, I think, back in the day would have called fo- your followers. Like a follower, yeah. The follower. Though, um, no, followers, if I, if the followers, they just follow you. They don't get paid. They don't get paid. Are they just like, you're amazing? Right. No, we want to follow you. These henchmen, henchmen get paid. These henchmen get paid. Um, they're, body, they're more like bodyguards for you. They, you know, there's a bunch of ways to it. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of knowledge about hiring and henchmen just because we tended, and I don't know, you know, you talk about the 70s. I don't know if things started changing in the 80s, but. With the games I played, it was basically us four. We're going in. The idea of having extra NPCs, extra hirelings or henchmen, the red shirts, uh, Star Trek reference, uh, we didn't do that that much. Uh, But you're right. Gary Gygax, I believe, in B2, I think talks about, or somewhere talks about, it might be in the DMG, the smart party is going to look to recruit people yes has a lot of people there now what what thing what makes it very challenging from the dm standpoint is the party is probably going to want to hire a hireling or a henchman to be cannon fodder is that right. fair to say often yes well if i'm let's talk we were talking about playing npcs intelligently yeah telling the you know, npcs getting very low pay probably the henchmen or hiring getting very low pay 
Well, relative um, to a player, yes, but considering... Well, and, and that's true. So maybe we're relatively, it's not. Maybe it's a lot of money for this hiring or henchman compared to what they usually make. But, but you know, yeah. the idea of like, hey, run in and attack those goblins. You know, hey, I've got a family. Right. You know, and so I think if you, I, I think there might be no a medical. There's, there's, right? Is there medical? Right. I don't remember hearing about medical right. insurance. Is there a life insurance policy? Right. I think there's a goldenrod piece of paper. I'm just a stat on someone's paper. This could be an interesting negotiation. This it could be a session in itself right. where you're negotiating Contracts. with nowadays. Like, we're unionized. <laughs> you know, we've got a collective bargaining agreement here. That could be the whole game. You can only use union hirelings. Right. Right. You know, there's like a picket line if you don't. Well, there's guilds there. I mean, now that's yes. right. In fact, that could be the whole game: setting up the guild and and. Not running contracts. Yeah, the Henchman Guild or That's something. Right. Hireling and Henchman's Guild. I, I, so Adventure 1, Doors. Right. And then as you take the treasure and you use that to set up your Hireling Guild. This like, campaign's amazing. You know, what was, no, you know what was amazing is somebody mentioned, I don't know if it was online or just one of the party members, they said they appreciated learning about Doors. Do you remember that? Somebody said, I pre- it may have been John in our group, he okay. said, I appreciated learning about the difference between the doors. Oh, let's see. I think he was being serious. No, I, I, think done, I think you've done, uh, if there was a place to submit your paper for peer review, if you had a paper. We should start a journal. We should right. start like an academic first that's edition. That's right. Journal. We Something else to work on. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that would be crazy. Hopefully we, we're going to work on GrogCon instead. But um, you're right, Dan. Uh, a hireling is kind of simple help. They can either be uh, standard hirelings, which are basically the idea of when you're first level, you would have you know, people to carry your stuff, torch bearers. You know, the idea of think of that Raiders of the Lost Ark where they have uh, people helping with the diggers and these type of things to help dig in the expedition. Um, but they're not combaters. They don't fight. They don't do anything like that. And I think if I recall correctly, your, your son who was in uh, my group for a bit, made very good use of a higher hand. They watched the horses. Right. So you're going into the dungeon. You don't want to just leave your horses there because somebody will come by and take your horse. Right. I thought that was a very nice, I liked that use of, of hirelings. Yeah, so the examples are pack handler, tailor, teamster, valet, lackey, uh, limner. These individuals do all sign painting, drawing, and heraldic devices, etc. Now, which one was a limner? Glades. Oh, as a matter of Glades fact, Glades... This might not be a surprise. You know what's coming? What? Glades is going to return to. Glades is going to be a limner hireling. Glades is giving up <laughs> adventuring. He's, he's she's, gonna, she's, she's, she's going to be, she's returning to, yeah. Okay. To, 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 she may to, change her mind. To limning? On, it's a limning, I guess. Right. So uh, these are simple. They co- you know, daily costs range between one silver piece and 10 silver pieces. Actually, a limner is 10 silver pieces a day. Was there, was there, you actually made more money just doing your job. I think you. this was almost a net loss. I'm with this, yeah, and, and less show. chance of death. Right. Yeah, I'm going back to being a limner. So, and then expert hirelings are armorers, alchemists, mercenary soldiers, and... The, and um, this, it, you know, really doesn't talk about men at arms. It talks about, you know, different types. So this is an area where if the party, if they're in a large enough city, you know, if they want a couple of spearmen or other ping to brings, you should encourage that because, you know, two players, it's very difficult. You have to either tone down the dungeon, uh, challenges or, um, there's always an opportunity because what they can do, even if they don't fight, if someone goes down, they can grab the, the, injured character and bind them and take them back. Um, so that's always good. Now, a hireling as... And these are, this is on page 28, 29, uh, up through 
37. So hirelings is one part. Then they talk about henchmen and this idea of because player death is very likely and that's always a challenge. We had the, uh, or incapacitation. And when we used to play every, because we had a small group, each player had two characters. So if we had four players, that meant eight players. And, you know, if we didn't have that many people, then we hired hirelings or we would get NPCs that the, would uh, join the party. Um, and then as the dungeon master, you just had to be careful that they weren't running into combat. And most players understood they were not going to, you know, they would fight, but they're not going to go in first. They're not going to open the door first. They're not going to do these type of things. And so there's rules about how to recruit them and the, the, and the interaction, the, the advantage of a hireling or henchman is they are DM in, uh, info con- conduits. Basically, they're ways for the dungeon master to provide information to the group should they want to without it sounding like you know the voice from above coming down. Like when, uh, Dan, you mentioned in our game, you, know, you talk to John, hey, John, what can we do here? What's the plan here? <laughs> you know, trying to see if John's like, oh, John. yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you're going to stand over there and shoot your arrows, throw oil there, and yes. he's going to come, and, and it's going to work perfectly. And you're hoping that the dungeon master kind of gives you a, a tell on, on how to do that. So um, it can be useful. The, there's also a downside to it. So, um, But henchman is an opportunity for you to have another character that you don't roll up and, and that if something should happen, you could just, the player could assume the henchman um, and kind of that what's happened with uh, one of our friends, his character died, saved someone, and then they came back uh, as, as the player, uh, right? And then, of course, she died as well. Which one was the the pal? There was the paladin who saved the oh yes saved mm-hmm. the slave cook or something, and she went off yes. after that chapel of uh, silence. That's right, the, the adventure, the, the tire of silence. That module, which is still burned in my head of horrors, that was in there. But yes, she um, was yeah. she was escaped from the vampire or something like that. Mm-hmm. She went off after the the paladin who saved her died, became a paladin, and died the exact same way. <laughs> In the same room, I think. What are you guys have to complain about? I'm not complaining. I'm just stating, uh, are these the facts as yeah. we recall them? Uh, those facts seem to be quite accurate, okay. yes. So I think um, the the key for the Dungeon Master is, and they talk about it in the Dungeon Master's Guide, is the whether it's a second player or a henchman or hireling, they are not extensions of the player character. They're not just a separate area to store stuff. You know, I couldn't go to my henchman and go, give me your plus one sword. I think, didn't I? And I think this upset one of the players in our group. I think in the Borderlands game, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're there or not, mm-hmm. things were going pretty badly. And I had that, the, the hirelings ran. Right. The hirelings just left. Right. And I think one of the players was pretty incredulous that that had happened. But I played them like, yeah. there was like a lot of mayhem and it was not pretty. Right. And they... They bolted. Right. And there is, there, you know, if, if you want to play it by the book, which is a challenge because you have to, I had to write a spreadsheet to help with this. There's morale checks. Yeah. And, you know, Basic had a really good way of doing it. They have a morale number and you roll 2d6. And if you go, I think it's if you go over the morale, um, they flee. If they stay under, they fight or some version of that. Here, there's percentages based on how many of your team has been injured, how many yeah. people you've killed on their side, if the leader's alive, if the leader's incapacitated, yeah. and you have to figure out what hit dice they are, blah, 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 and then you roll, and then there's different sets. So it's more realistic, but it's hard to do. Yeah. And I think one of the other rules I'll always say is, and we had this issue yesterday, 
roll the dice first and then figure out. Because uh, if you roll a zero zero, right, you probably don't need to worry about modifiers right. or a zero. Or you, one. Or, or yeah, if, if if you needed a tw- uh, fifteen to hit and you rolled a one. You're not sure. Oh, how, uh, I'm going to try to hit. All right, try. I rolled a one. Yeah, okay. we we had, yeah we had a long discussion about what modifier or whatever it was, right? right? And then they finally, after about five minutes or ten minutes of debating it, they rolled and it's like a two or right. something yeah. like that. And well, it was anyway. multi. It was when the attack happened, and we're trying to figure out yeah. what happened. Like, and finally, we said, "Go ahead, you can roll your dice." You rolled a four, right? Like, and that was just it. roll it. And Didn't matter. It. Yep. So, um, so they are. That's a style of play. Do you want small groups of player? player characters, not a whole lot of NPCs, because the more NPCs you have, the more homework you have for as a dungeon master, because you have to keep them, make sure they don't become one character, you know, Glades, and, and I think you did a pretty job, Pixie and Glades, you kept saying, well, Pixie does this and Glades does that. A lot of times they just become Pixie Glades, or <laughs> right. Bladesy, or whatever you want to call it, so... Okay, so the um, part next section we're talking about is, you know... How do you transition from... So, again, with the Hobgoblin. Let's say you uh, Glades and John were in the room. The Hobgoblin is holding Alyssa, and you're parlaying. You're trying to negotiate. How do you transition from, from you know, it becomes from nonverbal or, or some kind of surprise or initiative? How do you handle that? So, so if I'm the... Uh... So you're I'm the player. The D- I'm the player. You're, oh, no, you're the DM. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're the DM, and uh, I'm the Hobgoblin, and <clears throat> I roll the reaction roll. You know, how do you transition from parlaying to when a combat or something happens? Oh, so, okay. So, you meaning the, the. So, well, so usually it, I would have, then I, I would say, okay, the, you know, I would just announce the action that's happening. And say, okay, so um, if I'm the DM and I'm playing the Hobgoblin and the parlaying isn't working, then what I, you know, I have to make a decision as to whether or not I think that the Hobgoblin might have a chance to surprise. I know players hate having to roll for surprise. If they're standing there and they're talking and then all of a sudden having to roll for surprise, because surprise is deadly in first edition. You can be surprised for multiple rounds. You'd be dead by the time the surprise round is over. Uh, so I don't know. How, how do you handle it? Well, and I think this is one I've gone back and forth, but I've noticed in your group, I get it somewhat as well. You know, we're talking, we're talking, all of a sudden I want to cast sleep or I want to cast this or that. Yeah. And, you know, they're basically trying to do the, you know, uh, the, the draw kind of, you know, basically a standoff. And they're saying as they're talking, they're going to shoot first. Yeah. And the idea is because they've announced it that they should get the jump automatically. And the so you could give them the the advantage to that, but then that just encourages them to less parlay because they're parlaying all of a sudden, well, I cast sleep or I cast hypnotism. Um, I, in, in, the, in the adventure we did here, as soon as I think it's moved, as soon as someone declares an action that's mm-hmm. aggressive, so just like it would be not fair to your point if the, the hobgoblin's about to, is going to cut the throat of Alyssa. Uh, well, you could say, well, he decided to do it and there's nothing you could do. Or you could say, the you know Glades and John are watching. They're talking, and they, he sees that you know they're about to press on it. So that's surprise. You should roll. Um, uh, you know, just like the you know, it's not Greedo shot first. You should. There has to be a way to do that, or else either the dungeon master can say, "Oh, the, the monsters always go first, or the players always feel like I want to cast sleep, and they feel like they should get a free attack, and there really should not be. That's what surprise is supposed to do. Or you can say, "No one's surprised because they're watching each other." It should be initiative. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it, it, you should do a surprise roll, and you can always adjust it. So I think that if I feel like the players have done a good job, I like to reward, of course, mm-hmm. what I think is good play. Because if you don't reward good plays, the players will get discouraged. So if they're, they're parlaying, and I think that the Hobgoblin is basically buying it to an extent, and then they all of a sudden start to cast sleep, I, what I probably would do then is something in between. So I wouldn't say, okay, you're going to get it automatically, but I'll, all right, what I'll do is I'll give a surprise roll on the Hobgoblin, and may, I might, you know, maybe it's just a straight-up roll. Maybe I'll add one or two based upon it. So I guess I, guess I would play it based upon the situation. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like the players have actually done a good job of sort of surprising as opposed to just trying to do what you're saying, it's just kind of taking advantage continuously of always getting the first shot? I, I think I would probably do a surprise roll. I, uh, I'm a big fan of looking at the situation saying, okay, do I think this player is coming up with a good idea? Let, let me give you an example of something I would have changed in the last game. I played it as the adventure was written. But we that had, was the first thing I would change. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I did change a lot of it. Uh, so, uh, it was, he looks at the maps, the, the visitor information maps mm-hmm. in, in the dungeon, um, and he asked if there's a map of the dungeon. Well, I didn't say there was. In retrospect, I probably would have said Yes. Not the whole layout, right, but maybe like the next level. Sure. Because I thought it was really insightful, you know, because see, they said, well, these are just, they're old visitor information pamphlets. Yeah. Welcome to right. Dwarven Glory. If they're there, they should have some way to get around. Makes sense. And it was, and, 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 and it was a good idea. No one else was looking at him. He said, well, is there a map? And, you know, I just, I, I'm play, I look at it, I look at the adventure, and I'm like, no, there, there, no, there's no map. Right. I think in retrospect, I probably would, should have said, Yes. Not like you've got a list of every yeah, level. Don't, you don't hand the map to them and go. Right, exactly. But maybe for the next level, you've got, you Absolutely. know, for it. So That's encouraging good play. I agree. And that and that's the way I would handle what you're talking about with the surprise. If I think I'm encouraging good play, I'll do it. If I think it's not good play and they're just trying to always do it, take advantage, I'm probably going to shut it down. And, and so the way I approach it, I don't disagree with that. I think um, depending on your players, especially if they're less experienced um they may not know what they can get away with so this is where using the mechanics to help them understand the game is helpful so in that situation you could use surprise you could use initiative or you could use um, a dex check potentially or you could change the initiative surprise based on their dex modifier because what you want to do is you want to also reward the the attributes of the characters and you want to keep using them so that some characters will be better than what we what tends to happen is some players just they want to do everything they want their character to fight and steal and hunt and and you know the the way the game is set up is each person has a role and they need to depend on each other and so if you have the thief who's very dexterous or a fighter who's very dexterous they should be able to react quicker than the fighter who's in heavy plate mail who wants to oh I, i'm going to take the drop and i'm going to, I'm going to take my tra- you know my two-handed sword and attack and attack perfectly at the hobgoblin but not attack Alyssa. um that's so to me it's trying to encourage that by doing um, you know, I, I just don't like um, sometimes when the player just goes, well, they announce something because they've announced it first uh, in in the room that that's what happens. And that's that to me um, 
then you then you get them all shouting about what they're going to do. And, right. and what it should be is, okay, you're going to do that. That means there's going to be – that's an action. There's going to be an initiative uh, for that. Or you know what? The hobgoblin, to your point, is at ease. He thinks you're going to trust them and he, he read you wrong. So there's going to be a surprise roll which you'll get advantage with your decks. And I think the nice thing is the vast majority of players, if the DM – announces why the DM is making a particular decision and adopts an approach which makes some sense. The player's okay with it. Right. So, you know, if you say, okay, I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to handle it. Because of this, I'm going to do a surprise. Or because of this, I'll I'll give you first hit, whatever. As long as you explain why and and you give a, a, a somewhat rational answer, most players... They accept it, you know. So they want to. They want to feel. I think the players want to feel that they are being treated fairly right. with their decisions. Okay. They're not just being shut down, but they're being treated fairly. And as long as they think they're being treated fairly, even if they don't think it's the right decision, I think most players are okay with it. And what's interesting is you, when you go to combat, when he talks about combat next uh, session, um, the reaction, the encounter reaction, which you can use not only for an, you know during combat or not, happens after initiative. The idea is, um, if you if you think combat's going to happen, you still should do initiative. See who has initiative. Then they would react to whatever the circumstance is. So um, you still have the situation of you could roll. Also, um, the hobgoblin didn't understand that you're casting sleep, or maybe you were trying to back away and they reacted violently from that. So there's there's a whole bunch of ways you can do it. Um, I try to keep it consistent, make a rational statement, and move it forward. Um, so now we're going to, you know, one of the things you should try to do is, again, I'm a fan of using the stats so that people who have high stats, um, their characters, who sh- they should be playing towards that. And one of the other things, we talk about dump stats, and I'll use the air quote again. Uh, they're stats that are not useful for the class that you're in. So a lot of people, charisma is not an important stat. Druids, they're important. Paladins, they're important. I think uh, bards, uh, illusions may need to have some uh, charisma. Um, everyone else doesn't. So their lowest stats always in there. Well, this is where in, in interactions, if you want a character wants to talk a lot, you can use their charisma bonus changes, gives a plus or minus to the reaction roll. Um, so that's on page 63. So I asked Dan's character to do a reaction check a number of times. That was based on his charisma so that the charisma means something. Because if you don't use it, then it doesn't, it's not used unless you're doing henchmen. It's a kind of a stat that gets forgiven. Everyone puts it in strength and dex and con. Those are the top three and then intelligence or wisdom. Um, and that kind of leads into the roles the players have. You know, role play, R-O-L-L versus R-O-L-E play. Um, you know, what, how do you balance the difference between role playing and role playing with R-O-L-E? Well, I, I think obviously you want to have both. You know, I've mentioned before where your son, who was playing in our group, you know, announced three hours in he hadn't rolled a die, and I and I thought that was a fair statement. Yeah. Uh, players like to roll dice. I do when I'm a player. I do as a DM. Yeah. You know, I, we have a co-DM sometimes, as you know, yeah. and I, you know, who handles most of the combat, and I say, hey, can I roll the initial? I want to roll a die. Right. I like rolling. Right. Uh, it's a game. It's, it's a game. It's fun to roll dice. Uh, so except the twenty. Except the 20. Yeah, that's, that was terrible. So I think that you obviously want a healthy balance. I mean, it depends a lot on the players, too. I mean, you know, so I think what the DM has to understand is that at the end of the day, 
if the DM wants to have a lot of role playing, R O L L playing, um, or role playing with an E, it, it may vary based upon the party. Yeah. Uh, if the party is looking to do a lot of combat, which I assume we're talking about role R O L L playing, yeah. you're talking about primarily a lot of combat, right? Because that's where most of your dice are going to be rolled, yeah. as opposed to interactions uh, with, uh, with NPCs and parlaying with monsters. And I think you obviously want to have uh, a balance, but it's you're not you may not have a lot of control. I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, but uh, you may not have a lot of control over it as the DM or as much as you'd want. Well, the first thing is stating the goal. I think one of the things that turns off new players, particularly, they want that they're if they're coming from a tabletop playing a game where they roll, you know, they they have a certain list of actions and they do them, um, but they want to get to. Is seeing you know uh, these great flourishing role play. Now we are not voice actors. We're not actors. We're, I'm not sure we're DMs at this point, but we don't do a, a, a great job. Of, but we do some role playing. Some of our players will try to get into their character more. Some will just state things. So that you you should allow for both styles of play. Um, but I find ent- beginning level they either go totally all into it. They're you know if they're the brooding. Uh, anti-hero they sit there the whole time and they won't even say anything they try to play method acting or the other ones i didn't come here to go to you know afternoon theater i just want to roll dice and so you should be able to do both because you know when you have this interaction right you could say um i'm talking to the the merchant and you know i start putting on and now dear sir May I partake in your fine uh, clothiers that you have? And you could say, oh, he did a really good job. I'm going to not charge him three times the cost. I'm only going to charge him mm-hmm. list price. That's one way to do it. Or you can just say, um, you know, my character is going to try to uh, persuade the merchant to give me a deal based on my charisma. Yeah, you know, I, I think a way to immediately pick up on whether somebody enjoys role-playing, R-O-L-A, is to... Watch whether the player says what the character is saying or the player says it. So, for example, player says, so I walk into the bar and I ask the bartender, are there any good places around here? Versus, okay, I go up to the bartender. And this is what I say. My good man. So if they're actually doing the dialogue as opposed to describing and summarizing the dialogue, I think that's... And and, and one's not right or wrong. It's just I think that's a quick way to figure out who you're dealing with. Right. So on the one side of the spectrum is state the goal. I want to intimidate the guard to let me in. Right. And you can say, okay, what's your charisma? My charisma is 15, so I'm highly charismatic and I'm a big, strong fighter. You roll down the reaction roll, you see what happens. That's terrible. Sorry. I should not say that. See, that to me is not... But that's that's a pure mechanical way to right, do it, right? That's right. on the one extreme. I don't want to... I want to be a game. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a big, strong half-orc. I'm going to use... I'm going to try to... And, and later editions have mechanics. It's called intimidation or persuasion oh. or anything like that. That's on the one. The other side is we have complete role-playing. And depending on how theatric I am and, you know, if you look at me again, I will cut your throat and murder your whole family. And then the DM kind of goes, wow, that was really good. 
And then the middle ground you're talking about is the dialogue, where we interact, and if I say things well and I get my points across, but maybe I don't use all the accents, you give me an advantage. You either may say it happens or you say, well, give me a role, a charisma role, or something like that. Yeah, and I, so the way I, and I'm glad you wrote that down into three of them, because, you know, the first one, it seems to me you just want to, you're not really playing your character. You know, you're not getting into character. You're saying, I have a character with these stats. And my character has a 15 charisma. So I'll let my 15 charisma character take over. Right. Give me a role. Because, look, I don't know what I... I'm not a 15. I'm just a 7 charisma in real world. And that's the argument. And I I get that because... Because we don't ask them just... We don't ask them to fight. That's right. I get it. We we say he has 18 strength. I clearly don't have 18 strength. We don't say to go, well... You know, wrestle the guy, <laughs> wrestle the big guy out across the street and see if you can, right. you can do that. We just say you have 18 strength and you, you've done that. And, and that's, that's the one argument. But the other one then becomes so, you know, your point is it comes mechanical. I think, I, yeah, because I think what you should do. So what I was thinking when I said, oh, that's terrible, right? I mean, maybe I shouldn't have no, said okay. that. It's terrible. But, but, but I think what, what Comment I... Comment below if it's terrible. I th- you know what they're all going to say? This podcast is terrible. <laughs> That's probably right. So I stop with that. That'd be great. (laughs) Why are you still listening at this point? (laughs) You really, if you think this is terrible and you're listening to this at this point, you don't have a lot to do. Okay. So I think the difference is what I really don't like. And I, and my understanding is this is not, you know, old school is not, Hey, I have a 15 charisma. So I'm just going to roll to see if I'm successful getting by the guard. My understanding of old school is you've got to at least explain what you're going to not like you said you're not just stating the goal you don't have to necessarily say i i go up to the guard and i say i go around and i say if you don't let me in you right you you can you can say just describe what you're going to do i'm going to grab him by the collar and i'm going to threaten him that i'm going to kill him i think that's great i don't expect my players to do all the theatrics and to do the voices, but a little and more than I just want to intimidate. But you've got to explain, sure. and so I think it's between. I would, I would, I would expect it's not going to happen. And when I'm running a game, I don't want to run that game if it's a one game where it's the first thing you're talking about. I, I am going to expect at least that you explain how you're going to do it. And right. you know what? I'll give you. I'm going to assume that when you're doing, if you're 15 charisma and trying to talk to persuade somebody. I'm not. I'm going to assume that how you're describing it to me is being done by somebody with a 15 charisma. I'm not going to say like, "Oh, that was." T- you're fumbling over your words. You're terrible. Right. Are you sure? If I wouldn't do that. That's great. And I think you know, hybrid is probably the best because you don't want to. Uh, if if the play you want is kind of in the middle and maybe to the other side where you want some role playing, you you want to encourage the people who are just like, "Well, I have a, I have an 18 charisma. I have the highest charisma. I I should get advantage. I just didn't do that." You need to encourage the people who are at least doing some of it so that they move towards that way. Um, so how do you deal with player versus player? Because some of the encounters are not, um, you know, as a DM, we tend to think about, well, if the players are interacting, we don't have to get involved. When are times that would you get involved with player versus player discussion? It may not even be a, a, a combat and how do you adjudicate some of that? Or, or are there some advice you need to give? Well, so I guess I'd want to know what kind of interaction is happening. So if, if the players are simply having a discussion of what to do next, I'm, I'm staying out of it. So is there, is there a particular type of interaction that you're thinking of that would necessitate the Well, the, the classic thief ah. opens the chest... And, you know, we don't really talk about uh, communication, but we could talk about, you know, do you have 
uh, an open table? Um, do you, um, you know, so the, the, the thief opens the chest and you as a dungeon master, you could write a note to say, cause he's, we, we announce what, what's in there, but the thief could be like, no, I don't want right. anyone to know. What, right. what do I see? You know, uh, we just make it easier on ourselves, but a lot, I, and I used to do in the old path. Once the, once the, you get that one player is like, if I do something, I don't want other people to know. Then you have to write a note and hand it to the person and they look or they, or if it is a public thing where you say it, they go, I don't tell the rest of the party. I just put, I put the stuff in my pocket. And now you have this metagame issue because the magic user heard that there was a wand or a ring that the thief stuck in his pocket, his or her pocket. And now you have the player on player discussing. How do you handle that kind of situation? Yeah, so I, I think it depends, again, as it often does, on your party. You know, there's going to be parties that want to do a lot of metagaming. There's others that don't want to do a lot of metagaming. I mean, for me, the dream party is a party that doesn't want to do metagaming. They, they don't want to know. That's part of the excitement to them. Uh, the things are happening fast. They only know what they know. They're, they're really getting into the, the role-playing aspect of it. You know, if you've got a, you know, you, you mentioned the thief. It usually is the thief. If a note's being handed to the DM by a player, it's often the thief. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I haven't DM'd enough to really have gotten involved in any real issues with the party. I know, I know the party had an issue with one player once who went off on their own. Uh, found a secret passage and went off on their own, right. and, and there was sort of an intervention. <laughs> the party had a talking we're to. Had, we're going to have probably have that in our session because when you have ten or eleven people and one person goes off and does his thing or her thing, you know the rest of the party is just sitting there. And I know for for a long time, and you, I don't know if you've changed this, you would pull them aside yeah. and go out and talk to them. Now, when you when it's you and Ed Ed co DMs, he's the co founder of the group that we have. Then that's fine. You got one DM who can work on one and the other, but yeah. you basically are doing so. Uh, keep going on. You know, how how do you steer the group one way or another, or do you steer the one the group one way or another? Uh, you mean steer them toward uh, a goal? So right. is the issue kind of the railroading versus non-railroading? Well, just you know, do you do you encourage the thief when, yeah. the, th- when the thief announces yeah. he's starting to play? He's like, yeah, I don't want anyone to know what I find. I will. T- I will tell them. The character will tell yeah. the party what I find. Yeah. And oh, if, uh, I, yeah. I, I want to go off, and you know, then you still pull people aside, and you know, half the t- half the time you're yeah. sitting out there. Is that you okay with that, or you try to discourage that? I'm okay with it. If again, it's I think it's reading the table. I'm okay with it if the party's okay with it. I think most party. I, the problem is, is that I think it's very unusual to get a gr- a, a group of players that are all looking for the same thing. I mean, I totally understand that. You know, so as a player, I really like, you know, the role playing, you know, the R O L E playing aspect of it. But that's just my opinion. There, yeah. there, you know, I'm not a big fan of combat. There's other uh, you'd think the opposite from this disaster. You're uh, not a big fan. I, I can tell why you're not a big See, fan. See, I'm terrible at it, right. right? This is why I'm not a big fan. You should not you should avoid it at all. And, costs. and, let, and, let, and let me be clear, I think I'm 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 a, I'm a pretty terrible player. It doesn't mean I don't have fun uh, doing it. Well no, but I know but it doesn't mean I don't have fun doing it, but it's hard. Being a good player, right. in many respects, I think perhaps being a good DM is easier because you control so much. I think being a good player is very hard. It's very challenging. It's tough, and it's very easy to fall into being not a good player. But that, that's probably a whole separate podcast. Right. But so to answer your question is, my, my concern is that when you've got a group of players, 
you're going to have diff- people want different things. And there's going to be some players there that don't appreciate the play. They think it's, it's, it's everyone's in this together. Yeah. They're not going to appreciate the thief. I mean, you know, passing the notes, which Gygax said, I believe somewhere, that the thief should actually be dinged in terms of their rating for how, you know, the, the one, two, three, or four, right. for the quality of their adventuring, if they didn't take an opportunity every now and then to take a little bit of money. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean stealing from your party members, I can't remember, but sort of grabbing something from the goblin that's been slain without telling anybody. This is what thieves do, typically. Uh, and so I think it's appropriate, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have an issue with it. I would find it sort of, as long as, as long as, the parameters at the outset of the campaign were clear. Look, no evil players, right? So I don't have to worry about, are you out to kill me? Right. No one's out to kill each other. We're all in this together, but we may have, look, you got a thief, and we may have different angles. Right. Then a little bit of separate play I think is fine. and keeps a little bit of mystery to it, as long as I think somebody isn't being a jerk about things. The problem is, I think you're going to have some players that don't like that. And I think anything, the most important thing I think for a successful game is keeping everybody happy and satisfied and wanting to come and play. And the problem is if you got a couple players who are getting unhappy with the passing of the notes, then, and I'm going out and, you know, they may leave. They may leave. So long answer to your question, but I think it depends upon your players. I think, I think it's, Without us, uh, everyone on the same page, and maybe this is you know talking about expectations at the beginning. Unless everyone's on the same page and okay with that, I would tend to. I think it should be avoided. But my problem is, is as as the DM, I don't know yet that I've got the confidence to curb that. So I let that. I sort of step back and, and let that play out. I'm like, okay, if this is what would happen. This is what would happen. I'm sort of like I'm just watching. I'm just the umpire. Maybe that's not such a good approach. So I'd be you've, you've DM'd more than I. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how you would handle. Well, something I, like that. I tend to let them go. I think what you, uh, what they sow, they will reap. And so, like in the group that you run, we are not playing all good characters. We're playing neutral, basically selfish characters. And so, like you know, I was thinking about last night. There was a big turn of events where the de facto leader was a, uh, has has now has is paralyzed, and my character, who's kind of not the greatest, but he's the only cleric, went from being probably one of the wimpier characters to now is pretty much in charge only because he has successfully yes has five ghouls and four skeletons in his command yeah and so he's a nineteen year old kid who's never had this amount of power. And he's chaotic neutral. He's kind of chaos. And what, what will he do with that power? Um, you know, it, the standard answer is he'll do nothing. He's going to help the party. But as, is that really what uh, this character would do being a 19-year-old uh, kid? And, you know, so part of it is putting my experience hat. You know, I want, the, I want the game to go on. I want to do it well. But I also want to play my guy. That's what makes it fun. It's finding that line to not cross over to if I'm not having fun, no one's having fun. So I have to decide what I'm going to do with that. Maybe I'll poke the bear with a couple of people just to show that there is. But you know, how far do you take it? Because you don't want the situation. I mean, that's why the game is best. It's easiest to run and makes sense when everyone is good because they have this social contract. They all know, hey, and then you're dealing with one turns evil because of a spell or something, which mm-hmm. we're going to segue into next. 
Um, I tend to let him go. I think the challenges, you know, when you get start getting player and player combat, then you have to be very fair and you have to adjudicate it and you have to let the chips fall there may. I think before it gets into that, if you start seeing signs that that's going to happen, like with the thief, or you have a character who's hiding their alignment, or where they, you know, they're an evil character and somehow they've snuck in here, you better have a conversation before that saying your character may die, you may get attacked, um, and deal with the consequences of that. So that you know, the rule is for me: characters can be mad, players cannot be mad. It should never be. I should never be mad at Dan if if the ghouls kill us. I should, the character could be mad, but no one should be mad at Dan. And I think the hard part of this is to make sure people don't conflate the, the person with that. As long as people don't do that, then we're okay. You know, I had to talk to a, a player who, you know, just got mad about someone going off and doing things. I said, you know, I, you looked upset. You know, you, I want to make sure you're not upset with the player and the character. No, no, I was fine. And, and, and they worked out. I think that's where the DM's responsibility. I know it's the parties, everyone's responsibility to kind of monitor. You're the host. You're running it you need to be able to step in for that. But I generally like when they interact because, A, that's time I don't have to do much because I can just sit and watch them jibber-jabber. And I can, if I want to create tension, I can start doing my favorite thing as they're talking. Ed was doing it too when we were kind of figuring right. things out. You heard the dice rolling. rolling yeah. uh, I'm not sure what he's rolling for. He could just be picking up the dice. Like, okay, something, we, we, the clock is ticking. So I think, um, you know, but we have a neutral party. It could go either way. You signed up for it. We just probably, I would probably remind people of this every once in a while in, in your game and, and even in mine. So, um, you know, because this is a magical fantasy game, you know, magic can affect encounters, right? You have charm spells. You have suggestion spells. We cast suggestion every week on you, and hopefully you will fail your save and you'll do what we suggest. There are illusions. Um, any special challenges with that when, you know, that whether uh, the monster's charmed, yeah. Or when the, when the players are charmed, how do you deal with some of that? So, and I love these spells, and these spells always surprise me when the players are using them. Not because they shouldn't be, but because I'm just not thinking about it. I'll tell you, to be honest, when I write an encounter up, I have an idea of which way the encounter can go, and for whatever reason, I don't think about the possibility that there will be a charm or a suggestion and so when I have a player carry, we have an illusionist, and I think that I really like the fact that um, John, who plays the illusionist, I love, as you know, I love illusionists. I had illusionists back in the day. You're not so much in love. Well, so he's lucky he's got, he's got at least with me, he's got someone who, who uh, looks... He's not thing. a gnome, at least. He's not a gnome. He's a, he's a, a female human illusionist. And so he's using, you know, the suggestion chart. I think they're great spells. I think they're tremendously powerful. I think that these spells enable player characters who otherwise would be weak at low level to play a very important role. So I, I love the spells. And you know, and you know what I love about the charm um, in particular? And though I don't know that I've dealt with a lot of charm spells, but, but it would give me an opportunity to role play uh, with, with an E with the monsters uh, in, in a way that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. So um, I think it's harder... When the player characters are charmed, right? Because now you've got so in last night's game, we had a player who suffered from memory loss, and so the problem now is is that you've got a player character playing the character, but it's really not the it's really not the player anymore right. controlling the player character, and that's hard because you as the DM don't want to take over the character. 
But in the same vein, you're asking the character to, to act in a way that would not be natural for them. So I think it's it's a lot harder mm-hmm. on the game, my, my feeling is, is when it's the player characters who are subject of these. Because you're saying, you will do that. Do I do right. that? Yes, you will do that. That's okay, right. I do that. Yeah. As opposed to when it's the monsters who are charming. Well, and that, and that kind of is the level two thing. I think first, your first thing should not have any charm or anything like that because it makes it hard. You, you never want to... You want the players to decide their own fate, even if they want to drown themselves or, or fight unstoppable odds. And when you get into the, well, your character feels this or that... Players hate that unless they've been playing a long time. I think one of my characters in your game was charmed or something happened to it. And I was helping, was it the mummy? Was it something, wasn't there a mummy or something? I was actually somewhat helping because there, 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 I know there's been a mummy, right? There was a mummy and there was something about it that I, you know, we were charmed or affected or something. Someone, something had done that. And you know, you, you're part of it. And, and as, again, as a player, um, that's part of the experience of that. But a lot of people, players don't like that. And you sometimes don't get to pick. So, you know, until your level of sophistication is, is there, you know, but there's a lot of those type of events in there. There's uh, possession things such as ghosts or um, can, can possess you. There's charm. There's uh, a lot of things that manipulate pl- uh, players. And so you always have to be careful with that. I think my thing with it is, um, you, you definitely want to uh, talk to your players before in that session zero. You know, when this happens, I expect you to follow the thing of the spell. And I'm not going medic- to sit here and write secret notes to you what happened. I'm just going to announce it because we don't have time for some of that. And, and I'd like to say I think that you know, Dave, a player in our game, uh, who was subject to the memory loss, did a very good job right. of, of handling that situation. If I recall correctly, he's rolling randomly as to which right. way he would go and right. things like that. So he really got in the spirit of it, and I think did a good job. Yeah, he, he, he didn't sit there and go, well, I wouldn't do that. What does this mean? And, and be argumentative. Right. Um, and, you know, you just have to be careful with those things. So um, I, think we've, I think we've encountered this long enough. We've, we've parlayed. We've negotiated. We've uh, made our checks. And now it's time... For the se- our segment suggestion, suggestion, and so Dan, what suggestion spell are you going to cast on our listeners today? So I can suggest anything, right? Is this anything? Anything, this is, uh, anything right. about the? All right. So I think what would be appropriate for me to suggest is that uh, people consider at some point attending the Gary Khan convention because i'll be heading off to that soon that's right uh, it's a wonderful convention and where's it at it's in lake geneva and so for those of you who uh, know the game will remember that that's right it says it right there tsr games with lake geneva wisconsin exactly. so where tsr was and gary gygax was from and it's a convention every march and what's great about it is it's not that big in terms of conventions i think it's maybe about two thousand people come to it and it's a lot of old school gaming so it's not this enormous convention like a gen con uh it's smaller and a lot of old school gaming and so i'd highly recommend it uh it's a lot of fun is your game full for sunday yeah my game yep so i'm running the halls of a tyson thane and it is full uh on sunday and so i'm excited about that we'll see how i do and i've got uh i got just about every game that I wanted to get, mm-hmm. I got, as I think as I mentioned last night, including yeah. a game with uh, the multi-talented Janelle J. Craze, which I'm really excited about because, as you know, I've run a couple of her Vent Borshak's Lair, yep. Mork and Dane, uh, I've already run, so really excited about that. So you get an opportunity uh, to game with some uh, legends. Uh, and, you know, the great thing about that convention, too, is 
you don't have to necessarily have a game with a legend to have an amazing game. Yeah. So, you know, some of the best games I've had there are, I don't know who this DM is, never heard of them, it's yeah. not a featured event, and it was an amazing experience. So so that's what I would recommend. Well, and, you know, the, the advantage of that is, um, you know, it's kind of like when you're, once you become a dungeon master and you appreciate it, uh, I have, you know, I think... Part of my suggestion is if you're the DM, make sure you play, just like Dan was talking about. He hasn't been playing in a while. Even this simple format, you get to not only appreciate uh, what you like in a game, but you also appreciate the fun that being a player is. We tend to like being a DM and the control and and all that, the active thing, but just the joy of playing. Um, And so going to different games and seeing the styles and saying, oh, that really worked well, Um, you should do some of that, but also just enjoy what's going on there take it in the moment oh i've, I've stolen good. so i'm i'm playing in a game again with another dm i was very happy to get off the wait list uh, carlos lising was you know the way he described you know i don't know anything about this i, I haven't paid any attention to anything you know i've been on it for 29 years mm-hmm. so all this stuff was what i mean i know what there isn't there there's this was it i don't know this group that they are online and they're very uh animated and all that i don't know about any of that so but i just go to this game and Carlos, the DM, is describing the combat in such a visual way. And, and maybe it annoys some people. I thought it was great. Yeah. I loved it. And so I stole that. As you know, I think I came yeah. back and, and I've been do doing that. And so, um, um, yeah, I, I, I steal stuff uh, all the time. And that's something I, I'm in putting more and more in as I've watched other DMs. Because it used to be, I hit, you kill. He's dead. You hit, you miss. You I, think, miss. I think some people like that. Though. Well, it's to me, that was it. It was... The grinding through that, you know, yeah. it's almost the final fantasy. You just move up, you know, <laughs> you have the because you only had one animation, right? Your attack, yeah. and that was it. So um, that's great. Well, hopefully they'll fail their save, and you will be there. So you know, if you they want to see the celebrity that is Dan, go to see Garacon. <laughs> now we're hoping next year. Uh, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out this year, but I, I would like to attend. So maybe next year. I know you'll try to go next year. Hopefully Dan and I will be able to go, to go together. That would be a lot of fun. The idea of Wisconsin in March is just it's it's a thrill beyond belief for right. me from my perspective. So that's how they keep attendance low. They're smart. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I have limited time off see, from work. Yeah. I'm going to Wisconsin. They, no, see this that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Because they make sure that the people who show up right. are really dedicated. Right. If you really like old school role playing games, you will go to Wisconsin. In March. Yeah, the reason it's so packed to get there is because all the people from Wisconsin are coming here for spring break and then That's right. to fly back. Yeah, and you know, and it's in Lake Geneva. So yeah. if you don't just fly, you got to fly to Chicago, then you have to drive yeah, that to Lake Geneva. great. You know, I'm going to put an 80s tape, like a mix, is that what the kids call it now? I, I, don't you think it'd be appropriate? A it's a playlist, you know, like, uh, you know, Safety Dance. Right. Right. Um, what the, you know, Rio. Venom. venom, right? It's yeah. going to be very. Yes. It's gonna, safety. Dan, men without hats. Venom. Right. Right. Uh, Slayer, and then Dexter's, Dexter's Midnight, Midnight Runners. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. Just kind of flip between them. Yes. Yeah. Right. From from good to evil. <laughs> <laughs> the lawful good. That's right. Lawful evil. Yeah, that, day, you know, you should each. You should have one for each alignment. You should. Yes. Yeah, that could be a great. Yes. One. I'll write that down. Yes. Alignment songs. A playlist. Yeah. Playlist based on. Eight, but it's got to be the eighties. Right, well, yeah, that'd of, be course. Fine. of course, yeah, that'd be great. Late seventies, you can yeah. do two songs. Okay. Yeah, okay, eighties and seventies, perfect. So my suggestion is a site called Donjon, and and if you're a DM who's been out there, 
uh, and you're trying to look for ideas, you've, you've run across this place. I don't know who does. I, I should have looked up who did, but it's, it's the French way of saying dungeon, D-O-N-J-O-N, donjon, which I guess means tower in, in uh, French, but apparently now it's synonymous. It became anglicized, whatever, and became dungeon. And, and I use that a lot when, for instance, um, the, if, if you do overland uh, travel and you end up with a random encounter, um, and it's a small little complex, you know, it's a, it's a minotaur layer instead, or, and they you know, if you roll in the monster manual, it says percentage type in layer. So you may have an encounter, but they not be wandering. They may be in their layer. Well, what does it look like? What you, you don't want to do that on the fly. It'd be nice to have a couple of those or, um, in the treasure, they find a treasure map and the treasure map says 40 miles away. There's a, a hidden cave with money. Well, Instead of me hand drawing this, I'm not a, a great drawer. I don't. I'm not an artist. So uh, Don John generates maps, generates uh, players, uh, generates random PCs, random names. You just pull all that up. You bring it in, and it gives you that. There's plenty of other sites. Mithril Mages is another one. So my suggestion is. Don't start from scratch. I mean, these three books are great, but there's plenty of online tools. If you're, if, if you're going to want to create your own game or own module or adventure and you don't want to start from scratch and you don't want to start to figure it out, it comes, there's, Donjon's a great uh, thing for that. So um, we've, we've been talking for a while. I think this is a good time to stop. Uh, so next week we'll have to decide. You'll have to you'll have to give me some clue of what you want to do with uh, if Glades is going to retire. If we're going to do something, if we're going to continue that. We'll talk about that. Um, we've got a lot. We've been getting a lot of feedback on YouTube. We're on YouTube now. We're on Twitter at Grog Talk. So if you want to comment or tweet to us, you know we're going to keep monitoring that. Hopefully, like I said, this month we're hoping to talk to the friends, our friends at Crucible, to start that planning process and. Um, there's a lot of good things going on. We're, we're really having a good time with this. So uh, I'm James. I'm Dan. Signing off here, and thanks for listening to Grog Talk. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.